This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to episode 172 of the Love That Album podcast. This show is proudly part of the Pantheon Network of Music Discussion Podcasts. My name is Morris Bishtinsky. It's December 2023. That must mean that it's time for the end-of-year procession of Melbourne music-related media people to talk to me about their favorite first-time listens of the year. Not necessarily new stuff, although really 95% of what my correspondents picked was new stuff, with a couple of things that they rediscovered after not having listened to for years. I got all sorts of wonderful and interesting stuff from uh, the correspondents, but Anyway, uh, yeah, we get a combination of new and old, and I really love doing this show. Uh, most years, I didn't do it last year because real life and all that sort of stuff. But this year, we came back to it, and uh, I spoke to five great people, broadcasters, writers, music proprietors, all wonderful people who have been on this show before and have done this show. They know what the brief is. They know what it is that I expect, i.e. great picks, great conversation, and they always deliver. Now, five people would have meant if I played all conversations, including you know, little clips of their music, as you know, this is what I do, then the whole show would have gone for something like three hours and 20 minutes. And that's not including me waffling on at this point. Plus feedback. Yes, I said feedback. I didn't get a whole lot of feedback, but I got some feedback. So that would make this a very, very long show. Now, when great programs like The Projection Booth go on for three or four hours, or indeed 
a history of rock music in 500 songs goes for three and a half to four hours. I rejoice. I celebrate doesn't mean I necessarily listen for three or four hours in one hit because I know where the pause button is, but I know it upsets some people. So what I've decided to do is break these five segments up into two shows. So in this episode, I'll be speaking with three of the five correspondents and I'll read out the two emails that I got. Two emails, but I also got a third email where a correspondent actually recorded an mp3 for me so you're going to get to hear a voice but i'll save that over for the next show and talk more about that in episode 173 now i've not decided yet whether i'm going to release that uh, before new year or just after the new year we'll see we'll work it out but uh, either way you've got some uh, interesting listening coming up grab a pen and a piece of paper and see whether any of the selections that have come from the first three people will be things that you'll want to get. There's a variety of stuff here. And let me go through who it is that I've got. And I'm going to give a little bit of a description here. This is more for the people outside of Australia, because within Australia, at least two of these three people, you may know, one for 100%. Two probably should know. And the third one, if you're a Melbourne music fan and you buy records, you'll know who he is. But anyway, we're going to start off the show with me speaking with Brian Nankervis the host of the wonderful show Rockwiz. Now, for those of you who are thinking, I've not heard this Brian Nankervis person before, and I presume that's for people outside of Australia, it means that, well, you've not listened to this show or this episode of this show. So, well, let me start again. You've not listened to the end of year specials because Brian's been on a few of those. And actually, in the very early days of the podcast, he was on a couple of episodes just to talk long form about an album that he loved. But I don't want you to go back to those early episodes because I didn't know how to edit and they sound like shit. But Brian Nankervis, who needs no introduction to Australian music fans, but I'm going to give one anyway for those of you who are outside of Australia. Uh, Brian hosted for many years, or rather was the adjudicator and developer of a great music trivia program here on Australian TV and done live show called Rockwiz. I first got a chance to say hello to Brian, got to meet Brian when I was on an episode of Rockwiz way back in season one. I can't even remember what year that was, in the early 2000s. Of course, I was already a fan of his. He'd done some stand-up comedy in his uh, character, Raymond J. Bartholomew's, and he'd done a live show which became a television program called Let the Blood Run Free, a comedy soap opera set in a hospital, and indeed the blood did run free. Very, very funny stuff. Nowadays, he does a great show called The Friday Review, funnily enough, hosted on a Friday on ABC Radio, and uh, does a whole lot of wonderful interviews and lovely conversations centered around the arts. Way back when I was on an episode of Rock Quiz, way back in the first season in the Gershwin room at the Esplanade Hotel, Brian was adjudicating as he does, but he came up to me after the show had been recorded and he said, did I hear your voice once before on Radio Triple R during the summer fill-in season? And I said, yes, I did do that. And I was just so flattered that the great man had actually heard me ramble on just like I'm still doing today, rambling on, talking about music 
from there, I knew I could call him up and say, hey, Brian, would you like to come on my little podcast? And because I love talking about music, he's always said yes. So I'm very, very flattered to be able to have him on the show. The next person is someone who's been on the show a fair few times, both as a co-presenter to speak about specific albums and also has done these NDVS specials. I'm talking about the music journalist and biographer and the writer of the How's That column, Mr. Jeff Jenkins. Now, when I was doing student radio back at university many, many years ago, Jeff came on the program that I was doing back there at uh, RMIT radio station. And I just, I don't know, I reached out to him through his How's That column and asked him, hey, would you like to come on and co-host a show and we'll talk about a lot of Australian music. Jeff is a huge champion of Australian music. I think his favorite artist of all time, though, is Bruce Springsteen. But for the most part, he's a champion for Australian music and uh, a lot of underrepresented Australian music. I hope that you enjoy his picks, but take some notes. And the final person who I have on this episode is Pat Monaghan. He's the owner of Rocksteady Records, previously worked at Basement Records, or sorry, I should say Basement Discs here in Melbourne. He's originally from Perth and he'd done a lot of music stuff over there as well, worked with bands, worked in stores over there, and Pat is absolutely a fountain of knowledge. A lot of the stuff that I have bought over the recent few years has been music that he's been playing in the store. And I said, I've got to have that or stuff that he's recommended me. Um, yeah, Pat really knows his stuff and he makes great recommendations. So I trust his musical taste completely. As should you. If you live in Melbourne, then head on down to Rocksteady Records and ask Pat for a recommendation and he'll give you one or ten, I'm sure. And if you don't live in Melbourne, then search him up on Facebook. I'm sure he can send some stuff out. Uh, but as I said, it's not just the music media type people who I have on the show. I did get some correspondence from people in the Facebook group. I put out a request for people within the Facebook group to send me some feedback to tell me what you people liked to listen to this year. I got three responses. As I said, two I'll be reading from this time. And a third one, I'll be playing the MP3 on the following episode where I have the next two correspondents as part of this end of year extravaganza. Anyway, it's the end of 2023. And whatever else you can say about the year, we had some great music. I've not made up my mind when I'm going to put together my own list of my favorite music that I heard for the first time in 2023. I might do it as an extra podcast or I might you know, put it as an addendum to the next part of this extravaganza, or I might just write it as a blog entry, get you to read. Maybe puts less pressure on me to have to worry about editing and recording by myself. All right, look, I think enough of me gabbling on. I'll play the recording of Joe giving you the contact details just in case you need them, in case you want to write to me or you want to find where the Facebook group is, all that sort of thing. Then we'll get on with our first correspondent, that being Brian Nankervis. So what I'll do is I'll play Brian and then Jeff and I'll come back to read the two wonderful correspondences that I got. And then we'll finish off the show with my chat with Pat Monaghan to talk about his favorite music of the year. You're listening to Love That Album, episode 172. I'll be back in a moment with Brian. I got a dusty old pile of vinyl records sitting on my floor. We hope you're enjoying the show. You can find previous episodes at lovethatalbumpodcast.blogspot.com. Dot com, or you can get it along with any of the other great music discussion shows at rockandrollarchaeology.com, all part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. 
To keep up to date, subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. You can email Morris with feedback or album suggestions at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash love that album and start a music-related discussion. Welcome back to episode 172 of Love That Album. And as is customary most years on this program, in December, I like to speak to some of my favorite people in music in Melbourne. None of the musicians, well, I mean, maybe they play a little bit of guitar or mandolin on the side, but people who know a lot about music, who promote music in all forms of media, be they written word or be they television or radio. And I'm speaking to a man who I've had on the show quite a few times in the past doing just that talking about his favorite records of the year such a thrill to have him back raymond j bartholomew's aka brian nankervis welcome back to uh, love that album brian oh morris delighted to be here yeah we missed a year last year so uh i'm very very happy to be uh, on the chat with you i'm so excited to uh, have you back on you're amongst stellar company they'll uh, yeah. got some other wonderful people coming up on the show but you have prime position you are number one you are the first person i'm speaking to what's on your list of favorite discoveries of the year be they 2023 releases or be they something from 40 50 years ago oh that's true well uh i've got i picked out one two three four five six i picked out six okay it's funny i i was thinking today that maybe 10 years ago i could have been a lot more concise and a lot more clear about which records which albums which artists uh, have really been with me for the whole year. But I reckon the streaming services and the uh, ability to YouTube and to go down a whole lot of rabbit holes has just made things a little bit harder to be clear. Because I keep thinking, oh my God, I spent, you know, three weeks obsessed by um, Muddy Waters. I went on a really strong Muddy Waters binge this year. Well, that was in June and I did it through an album that I bought at a secondhand market and then of course I just streamed and went really solid on Muddy Waters and that only occurred to me about uh, an hour ago I thought oh maybe I better put Muddy Waters in but <laughs> I'd already made my six okay so maybe I'll start off with the latest and this is inspired by a guest well a little outfit that was on the Friday review on the ABC, a show that I do each week with Jacinda Parsons. A couple of weeks ago, we had the great Asleep at the Wheel. Aha, uh-huh, okay, they have something new. Now, 
Asleep at the Wheel, for those of you uh, who've just come in, Asleep at the Wheel are a, a sort of Western swing outfit that have been going for 50 years, uh, led by a, a great character called Ray Benson. The band was formed, I think, in about 72 or 73, which would make sense if it's 50 years, by Ray Benson and a chap called Lucky Oceans. And listeners will know Lucky Oceans as the presenter for many years on the Radio National show The Planet. Well, he was originally a, a young lad, I think from maybe Atlanta, a, an incredible pedal steel player and, and guitar player. And these guys have flown the flag for Western Swing, which is a sort of a, a hybrid of country music. Uh, it's got a little jazz vibe to it. It's got a bluegrass vibe, typified by the, the king of Western Swing, a guy called Bob Wills. Mm-hmm. So just to interrupt you there for a second, I love Western Swing. My problem with listening to Bob Wills is every so often we get the Mickey Mouse effect. Ah-ha. Ah-ha. Oh, yeah, that, that tears that. it down for me. <laughs> really? It just, you find it a bit annoying. I do. Well, look, in about 1978, I can mark it as that year because I lived in a share house and and a very good friend of ours was sharing a, another house in Kew with Glyn Mason, who oh, was, yeah. you know, the great guitar player, Stockley C. and Mason. And Glyn was a great record collector, and he lent my friend and I an album by Bob Wills. Bob Wills is still the king. I think it was the last record that the Texas Playboys made with the great Bob Wills. And I loved the music because I'd, I'd sort of loved country music for a couple of years by then. But I thought, we thought that Bob Wills' little interjections, you found them frustrating and annoying. We thought they were great. And he would introduce the banjo player or he'd introduce the guitar player with some sort of witty, slightly high-pitched comment and lots of, "Uh uh-huh, lots of that stuff. (laughs) Anyway, we started doing it around the house. You know, we would talk about domestic chores the way Bob Wills might introduce the fiddle player. Time to put the bins out, Linda. Uh Yeah. So anyway, I'd always loved Bob Wills. And so when we we found out that Asleep at the Wheel were coming out for the Out on the Weekend Festival, I really jumped at the chance. I worked very hard to get them on the radio show. It was Ray Benson on guitar. Lucky Oceans didn't bring his pedal steel. I think maybe it was just too complicated. And then there was a, a, a woman called Shannon playing guitar and another guy playing a fiddle. And in my introduction, I told the story of, of sort of discovering Bob Wills uh, in the late 70s and the way we used to muck around with the, the Bob Wills call and response. Anyway, they played two songs. And then just before the last song, I said, now, Ray, are you going to give us a little bit of that classic Bob Wills uh, interjection? And Lucky Oceans piped up and said, oh, Brian, I think you should do it. (laughs) 
Oh, my Lord. So there I am. I'm put on the spot. I've got a hero over there, Ray Benson, and he he piped up and said, yeah, yeah, Brian, you should do it. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to ruin this song. They did Faded Love, which is a classic sort of, you know, Western swing, a classic country music song. Anyway, I controlled myself reasonably. I didn't do too many. Joshua Headley was the fiddle player. So I made a couple of comments about him and I think I got away with it. Anyway, I went and saw them the next day at the Out on the Weekend Festival and I bought their latest album, which is called Half a Hundred Years. And I reckon I played it every day for about the last three weeks. It's a great album. They do, they revisit a couple of Asleep at the Wheel classics. They do Miles and Miles from Texas. They do uh, Choo Choo Chaboogie, I think is on there. They do Route 66. There's a Willie. There's a Willie Nelson song. Take me back to Tulsa. It's just an album with life and and happiness. There's a couple of tear jerkers. Uh, Lyle Lovett does a, a duet on mm-hmm. there. But yeah, a, a wonderful, wonderful record. So just a side question. I think it was was it last year or early this year that Lyle Lovett went and released a new album. I think it might have been last year. Did you hear I think that? It was last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you a fan of that? Oh yeah. I lo- well, I didn't. I not necessarily. The, the latest one, but pretty much anything Lyle Lovett releases, I think is great. I, I used to go and watch Stephen Cummings a lot after the sports, around when he was doing those um, those incredible solo albums, A New Kind of Blue, uh, you know, She Set Fire to the House, The Waitress Trilogy, and he often would open shows with just Shane O'Mara playing beautiful guitar, and they did a Lyle Lovett song, If I Had a Boat. Oh, Wonderful. What a song. Oh, great song. I mean, he's, yeah. I mean, look, I, I love his sense of melody, but Lyle Lovett is one of the great lyricists, one of the great storytellers of the last 50 years. He's just he? amazing. And even on that last album, I can't remember what it was called, but it was something like about uh, wearing pants. And I thought he's still funny. Yeah, that was the vague bell too. Oh, that's just homework for the listeners, Morris. They need to <laughs> that out. Red lips together, dyed blonde hair. Saying hi with a dramatic flair Off to Europe on a wing and a prayer There you go again There you go again There you go again Sneaking Sally around the bend Thinking no one else is listening that was the uh, Asleep at the Wheel, Half a Hundred Years. The next one is Lucinda Williams and I had the great fortune again to interview her. Uh, I read her memoir, Don't Tell Anybody the Secrets That I Told You, which, of course, is a line from one of her songs on her sort of breakthrough album, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road. Anyway, she put out a brand new album called Stories from a Rock and Roll Heart. <laughs> adore Lucinda Williams and this album is a really strong album recorded after having she had a stroke she had a very minor stroke I think she had to relearn walking 
She, she basically, her speech was not impacted, her singing was not impacted, her guitar playing was compromised, but her, her mind still seemed to be really sharp. And so it, it's sort of, you know, it's one of those situations where the life story gives a little bit of extra colour to the record. So it's a, I think it's a great album. Uh, Bruce Springsteen appears on it. There's a tribute to Tom Petty. You know, she adored Tom Petty. Yeah, because, you know, Tom Petty was a, a big champion for Lucinda. He took her out on tour. And there's a beautiful story in the book where she said that the first couple of shows of the tour, she struggled a bit, you know, because she was the support act and people didn't necessarily know who she was. They were there for Tom Petty, you know, what it's like. There's a bit of chatting. Uh, the sound is often not as good. The lighting is often not as good. But after the on the third night or the fourth night, Tom Petty came out and spoke to the audience and said, okay, I really want you to listen to this artist. This is a great artist. Lucinda Williams has written some incredible songs. And she said it was, it just made such a difference. And of course, he covered that great song of hers called Change the Locks, which I think was on either, maybe it's on Sweet Old World. No, I think it might be on. No, the, that's on the self-titled one. I think yeah, uh, Lucinda Williams. The third, it was the it was her breakthrough, wasn't it? Yes, and I, there was um, I can't remember what the show was if it was like an MTV thing or some other music channel show, but there was a program where they'd get two artists from supposedly different musical worlds to do each other's songs, and so she was teamed up with Elvis Costello, and he doesn't really seem that desperate because he's done his fair share of country music, but yeah. the two of them duet on "Change the Locks" and it's slays it's fun i'm sure it's on youtube somewhere search it out you will love it the way how they do that together yeah and i think they also did didn't they do a song about you know you're in the jailhouse now or or, or one of those classic oh, sort of jailhouse songs Oh, she's great. She's so great. She's sassy and she's strong. And there's some some beautiful songs on this on this album. There's one about a jukebox in a local bar, and she, in fact, she talks about uh, playing Muddy Waters. No, oh, that's right. Full that's, circle, Brian. Yeah, that's right. Driving down the sunset, I'm stuck in traffic with the sun coming in from the west. So I cover my eyes and I wait for the light to change And I think about you and it's kind of strange But I think about you So that's a, been a really big album for me. Look, we might stay with the women and this brings me to... If I had to pick one artist who's head and shoulders above everyone, it's probably Bob Dylan. He's been a hero to me since I bought Highway 61 Revisited through the uh, Australian Record Club. I've adored him. Well, how great when a really wonderful younger artist records a live album at the Royal Albert Hall in London and it is a song-by-song 
reproduction, that's probably not the right word, but it's too late because I've used it now, uh, <laughs> of one of his classic 1966 tour shows. 66, of course, was when Bob went electric. And so he did a run of shows. He did a run of shows in Australia. He did a run of shows in the UK where he would open with an acoustic set, just he and his guitar. And everyone was reasonably happy about that because it was sort of what they expected. Although I don't think he did the big ones. He didn't do Blowing in the Wind or Times They Are Changing, but he did Mr. Tambourine Man and a couple of those. And then they would have a break and he would come out with the electric band. I mean, I'm sure your listeners know this story, but the purists were outraged. There was booing, there was heckling, there was people walking out. They felt that he'd betrayed them. And of course, it culminated in someone yelling out Judas just before he played like a rolling stone. He retorts, he says, I don't believe you, you're a liar, turns to the band and says, play fucking loud. <laughs> and they go into like a rolling stone and it's the most passionate, ragged, wild version of like a rolling stone. And of course, he's got Robbie Robertson on guitar, Garth Hudson, Richard Manuel, Rick Danko, not Levon, because I think Levon was sick of the booing. Anyway, that happened at the Manchester Free Trade Hall. For many years, people thought it was at the Albert Hall. The bootleg came out. Finally, we realised that it was Manchester. Well, Cat Power, Sean, Sean, Sean Marshall, but she calls herself Cat Power, has recreated one of those shows and it's just come out. It came out last week as a live album called Cat Power Sings Dylan. And I'm here to tell you, Morris, it is remarkable. I see six sailors, they are rowing home All your reindeer armies are all going home A lover who just walked out your door I'm in a weird place about this one because you actually sent me an email. This was the only album that you revealed to me that was in your list. So I thought, all right, I'll give this a listen. And it's not exactly a photocopy because she is changing the phrasing, the lyrical phrasing in some parts. And yes. the band doesn't sound like the Hawks. No. But, but she is trying to be reverential rather than creative. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't want to sound dismissive because her musicianship... And and her voice are absolutely fantastic and I respect Cat Power as a songwriter. And she obviously adores Dylan to be able to do something like that. But to have it on a record or a CD or something like that, at what stage are you going to say, I feel like listening to that concert, will you go first to the Cat Power one or will you go more in the future back to the Robert Zimmerman one? Yeah, well, that's true because those shows all exist. In the late 90s or maybe the early 2000s, there was a bootleg series where they basically put out all the 1966 shows. I've got the one from Sydney. So yes, you could go and hear the real thing, which I feel like I've been listening to that for 10 years. So I like a new interpretation. I think her voice is remarkable. She's done a couple of covers albums. She did one called Jukebox, where she did an incredible version of I Believe in You, which 
which was one of Dylan's songs from Slow Train Coming. Mm. Great song called Aretha, Sing One For Me, about two lovers having a fight and the, the guy decides to go to an Aretha Franklin show and she's hoping that he will realise the error of his ways because Aretha's songs will turn him around. I'm actually not that familiar with her original material. There's an album that I've really enjoyed called The Greatest. Yes. Um, it's not a it's not a comp. I sort of thought at first, oh, is this a comp? It's not. It's an album of all new original material. And I really, really enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, she's an artist of talent, no question about it. So these other covers that she has done in the past on this jukebox album, yeah. were they reproductions or were they new interpretations? Because that's always what interests me is hearing someone do something completely different. I know. It's a real fine line, isn't it? I mean, sometimes a song is so perfect, you think, well, why would you twist it? Why would you slow it down? Why would you change the melody? Why would you alter the phrasing? But then, And then you think, well, what's the point in doing it? Mm. So I get it, but I've read a few articles with Cat Power and she says that she approached this record, as you said, reverentially or reverently, whatever the correct uh, use of that <laughs> word. So with great reverence. Yes, here, that works. Because that concert and that period particularly, I mean, it, it is a remarkable period in Dylan's life. He put out Bringing It All Back Home, Highway 61 and Blonde on Blonde, two single albums and a double album, I think in about 18 months. Famously, he finished the UK tour, went home, had a motorbike, motorcycle accident and just completely withdrew and then started making down-home music with the band in Big Pink. Whether he broke his back, whether the motorcycle accident was as bad as everyone thought, but something had to give. So, yeah, I, I like what she's done and I like the fact that her diction is incredible, the arrangements are beautiful, the band is fabulous, and I think in a way it's just a whole new way of hearing those incredible songs. But I get your point. I take your point, absolutely. For me, it's the sort of thing where if she was coming to Melbourne and was saying, I'm going to do this show in front of your face, that I'd certainly be up for. Yeah. Um, well, well, she could do the, the Festival Hall show from when Dylan came here in 1966. Someone's got to write her. Maybe you should write her. We're trying to interview her for the Friday review and we've been close. We've had two attempts and she's pulled out at the last minute uh, twice. So I'm hoping it'll be third time lucky. go from Cat Power doing Bob to Bob doing Bob. Well, actually, I was going to say the latest in the bootleg series, but I actually think there's a new one that's just come out. They're putting out live at the Budokan, which was from uh, the Japanese concert tour in 1978. And they've remixed it, they've remastered it. I think they've chosen some different versions. But the one that came out earlier this year was called Fragments. When the rain is drifting in your face And the whole wide world is on 
and it's basically the box set from the Time Out of Mind album, acknowledged as a sort of late period masterpiece produced by Daniel Lanois. It was the first album of original material for six or eight years. It's got a couple of songs that will ultimately be considered some of the great Dylan songs, Trying to Get to Heaven, Not Dark Yet. Wasn't, wasn't that the album where a lot of people knew it more for the covers that had been done? So Adele doing... Make You Feel My Love. Make You Feel My Love. And uh, was it David Bowie who did Trying to Get to Heaven? Oh. I have I a... F- no, no, I don't think... Well, maybe. I, I might have to look that up. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass, but I know someone did it Trying to Get to Heaven. I thought it might have been Bowie. Yeah, maybe. Yes, Adele did Make You Feel My Love and someone... There was, there's actually been a lot of versions of that. Funny thing is that when it came out in 1997, it was regarded as this incredible comeback. It's a record that deals with mortality, you know, the bleakness of the human existence, not topics that are completely foreign to Bob, but you feel like he was really addressing his mortality. Now, he actually wasn't he was late 50s. It wasn't like he was an old man. And then once the record had been completed, he actually did get very sick. He had some sort of heart condition. It was fluid around the heart or something, I think. Correct. And and what was that great line he said? I thought I was going to meet Elvis. (laughs) I didn't hear that. Yeah. 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 So he was for a time there. He could have died. But that was it all happened after the recording of the record. But it's one of those albums. And then it began began this series of albums, uh, Love and Theft, that came out in 2001, Modern Times, uh, Together Through Life, Tempest, and then Rough and Rowdy Ways that been this incredible resurgence. I mean, it's remarkable to think that this man started making records in 62, 63 and is still making very strong albums. I don't think there's anyone who is doing that. But Time Out of Mind was always a favourite. I I remember when it came out, I just, I fell for it. I thought it was great. I loved the production. Daniel Lanois produced Oh Mercy in 88 or something like that. A very different sounding album to Time Out of Mind. Yeah, yeah. Time Out of Mind is really swampy and murky and, uh, uh, you know, stories are that there was five, six, seven guitar players all sitting in a circle playing and Lanois would take some, leave others on the cutting room floor. But I love the sound. There's been stories that Dylan and Lanois fought a lot. They they disagreed strongly, but look, it's a hell of a record. So the box set uh, that's come out is called Fragments. The first CD, I think it's a four CD set. The first CD is the original album, but with a, a slight remix. So it's a little less swampy. CDs two and three are alternate versions and rehearsals and demos. And then the fourth CD, I think, is all live versions of those songs. Right. So the Bob Dylan nut 
got a lot of pleasure out of that record. By the way, I was looking this up while we were talking, and yes, David Bowie definitely did release a oh. version, I think as a single. I don't know that it made it to an album, but it might have been a single only of Trying to Get to Heaven. So oh. I, I now have to um, refresh my memory with that after we record. But, yeah, um, all but right. Yes. And Thank I think, he, I imagine he would have done it complete justice. Yeah, absolutely. The end is getting harder There's a rumbling in the sky I've been waiting through the high mighty water For the heat rising in my eyes all right, well, that's Bob. So that's one, two, three, four. Okay, two more. Look, a very sort of quirky little album. There's an artist called Dan Tuffy. Hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with Dan. No. Dan used to be with a band called Wild Pumpkins at Midnight. Oh, them I remember. Yes, I do remember Wild yeah. Pumpkins at Midnight. Yeah. Yes. And they were a sort of folky, sort of gypsy jazz. They were a bit like, in a way, a sort of weddings party anything. I tended to sort of compare them maybe a little bit more to something like the Violent Femmes, would you say? that? Yes. Yeah, there was a touch of that. Actually, I use the word gypsy folk. I don't know if that's quite accurate. <laughs> um, I know they spent a bit of time in Tasmania. I think I did a couple of gigs with them maybe in the mid to late 80s. Anyway, always liked them. And then about maybe 10 or 15 years ago, Dan put out an album. He, he moved to Europe he, and he lived in in Holland, I think married a Dutch woman, had kids, would come back here occasionally, made a record with a pal over there, I think called The Big Low which I really liked. And then he put out an album about five years ago called Songs from Dan, which was a beautiful, beautiful atmospheric. In fact, it was actually, it had a touch of the Lanois about it. Hmm. Very sort of late night, rough guitars, but beautiful songs of sort of longing and desperation and and sort of a middle-aged man trying to make sense of the world and trying to make sense of his place in the world and sort of grappling with masculinity and being a father and getting older and being a little bit concerned. Well, this year, Dan put out another record. This one's called Dan Tuffy and the Song Crew. The album is called Country Star. Don't be riding on the railroads Less the trains is running late when you ride the boundary fences Always shut the gate Try not to spook the horses it's just a really great record. Opening track, Don't Smoke in Bed, is a beauty. The Nina, is that the Nina Simone song? No, I think it's an absolute original song. Nina okay. Simone did Don't Smoke in Bed. Wow. That might not have even been one of her originals. I have a feeling maybe that was a cover for her, but I've got a version somewhere of her doing that song. Okay, that's good. That's good mm. to know. So that would be, that was just a little quirky one that I thought I would throw in. It's given me a lot of pleasure, particularly driving late at night. On sweet sunshine Sometimes I feel like a burning man Jumping from 
Before we go to the vinyl album that has really given me a lot of pleasure, I must say that possibly, Morris, there is an irony here that 10 years ago, you know, we're talking about trying to find your favourite albums. 10 years ago, I probably listened to a lot more albums because I wasn't listening to podcasts. And the irony, of course, is that we're doing a podcast. But <laughs> I, I mentioned earlier that streaming services mean you can dip in and out of, you know, in one day you might listen to 25 different artists and records and that's fantastic. But I will jump in the car and often I will reach for a podcast and it might be a Morris podcast. It might be the what's the guy from Liverpool, 500 songs, the... Oh, Andrew Hickey. Andrew Hickey. Oh, my goodness. I don't remember if we discussed this in an email, but I've been addicted to that podcast from very early on, not day one, but a friend of mine sent me a note saying, hey, he's done an episode on I put a spell on you yes and that was my entrance point and I thought I cannot get enough of this and I do the Patreon thing so I get bonus episodes good on you really the benefit I mean I'm happy to give him the money but yeah, yeah. the benefit is all mine because I get extra shows out of him he's re- it's not yeah. just about the research everyone talks about the research and that's fine but it's one thing to read some books and then spout on about what you've learned but he weaves a story together he's a great storyteller he did a three hour episode, I don't know if you heard this, on Good Vibrations. And he doesn't even get to talk about the Beach Boys until about an hour and three quarter into the show, because he spends the first hour and three quarter talking about the development of the theremin, the whole history of the theremin, and just how he weaves it all in. It's utter brilliance. So I'm so glad. I'm not surprised that you've become an addict because this would be in your wheelhouse, but I'm super glad. Totally. And, you know, I was actually telling a friend today, I like a long podcast, and you're right, the Good Vibrations one, a couple of hours. There's one on, is it White Heat, White Light, or it's a Velvet Underground song i think that two and a half hours but of course the daddy of them all and it's appropriate because they were known for their long sets there's a grateful dead song called dark star and i think his podcast his episode on dark star goes for four hours 39 minutes it did go for something as ridiculously long as that but he said that in the way to tell the story which was not linear he had to go back and forth and he said it almost killed him Mm. Um, and he said, I'm glad I got that out of the way. It's important, but I will never do another episode like that again. Really great. So that one takes up a lot of time. I think you and I both have a fondness for the two English lads, David Hipwell. Da- Hip- David David Hepworth and Mark Hepworth Allen. Hepworth and Mark Allen, the word, word in your ear. Dave was on the show just a couple of months ago yeah. talking about his that, Abbey Road book. Oh. That was great. What a coup for you to, I, to- I was so wrapped. And look, he starts off the conversation before we start recording saying, we're talking about a couple of things before we start recording. And he says, look, I don't know if you know this. I have a podcast. And I said, stop right there. (laughs) That's where I know 
you from. I'm sure that most English music fans will have known you for the last 40 years and know that you're an anchor for Live Aid and the like, but I know you through your books and your podcast. And I find myself, Brian, getting very anxious if I check my podcast app. I think I'm I'm going into work. I want to hear what Mark and David have to say. They didn't release an episode today. And like they release sometimes like three episodes a week. And I know. I'm addicted. Yeah, no, they're really, it's very, very listenable. So there's that. I really like, is it Broken Record with, uh, who's the guy? Is that that the Rick Rubin one? That's a Rick Rubin one. Okay. Rick Rubin. That's really great. I'm actually listening to one. I just started the one today on Marty Stewart, the great sort of country guitar player. Oh, there's so many great podcasts. So I reckon that sort of slowed me down a bit. But anyway, let's go to the final, my final record. And I've guessed it. Well, look. Or or maybe not. Maybe not. But how bizarre to have a favourite band who you love and adore and you fell for at a young age when your cousins indoctrinated you into their music and then between about 68 and 73, they put out four or five of the best ever albums, according uh, to you, i.e. me. Then they put out a couple of beauties, but really from 1981 to about 2023, they didn't really put out anything that even got near to touch some of their greatest music. I speak of the Rolling Stones. Were you right in your guess? Of course, yes. I know you're a big Stones man. Well, I got to take a break from it all Cos the wind and the wilderness calls And I just need some peace from the stars I got to take a break from it all so, look, they put out a new album. Uh, I think it's the first album of original music in, is it eight years? I know they had a bigger bang. Longer than that because it was eight years. Wasn't it eight years or so since Lonesome and Blue? Yeah, that's right. Blue. I, I think it might be like 15 or 16 yeah, years so, since so a bigger bang. it was bang. a long time. And I loved Blue and Lonesome or Lonesome and Blue, but it was a covers album uh, of Blue's songs, so nothing original, which was great and really well played and you could tell it sort of it got them perhaps a little bit excited about recording but we kept hearing the stones are in the studio the rolling stones are recording but nothing was coming out and okay so in what was it maybe a month ago a month and a half ago sometime in october we got the first taste and it was the the opening song on the record called angry and it was pretty good. Mm. It, it was rockin'. It had gra- a great guitar solo. The playing was really good. It was. It featured their new drummer, Steve Jordan, the man that Charlie Watts said, he's the guy for you while I'm uh, feeling unwell. And, of course, sadly, uh, he never got to play with them again, Charlie, live. But the drumming's great. The guitars are good. I thought the film clip was appalling. The Cadillac or the, the convertible driving down the streets of LA with, uh, and I feel like my father, but a half-naked woman on the back. In fact, my daughter, I was watching it, my daughter walked in and said, you looked at it and said, oh, you've got to be joking. (laughs) I know what year it is. 
However, the good bit about the film clip was all those billboards, which I mm. thought was clever, showing live performances of the Stones through the years. Anyway, so everyone was a bit excited, and I'm sort of I'm on a couple of email chains with Stones fanatics, including Max Crawdaddy, and we were all a bit excited. We thought, well, this is a good start. And then the next song was released, and it was the Sweet Sounds of Heaven featuring Steve. Stevie Wonder on the keyboards featuring Lady Gaga on backing vocals and Morris, I was completely and utterly flawed. It sounds like it belongs on side two of Exile on Main Street. Absolutely. It feels like Worried About You off Tattoo You. It reminded me of Let It Loose or Shine a Light. Loving Cup. Loving Cup off Exile. And I just thought, well, it's taken 40 years years for them to release a song that is up in that echelon, you know, mm-hmm. and it was so exciting and I just played it and played it. It goes for about seven minutes. It's got this sort of false ending after four minutes. Maybe if I was producing it, I might just have a little word to Lady Gaga and just say, you know, maybe just pull back a little, but hey, I'm not and I never will, so <laughs> that doesn't matter. But it was such a revelation. It was so exciting. And then the album came out and I reckon it's really good. I reckon there's two songs on it that are a, a pretty ordinary. Is it Bite Your Head Off, which is the one with Paul McCartney? Yep. I've only listened to the album once. I haven't bought my copy yet. I listened to it online and I was thinking, oh, yeah, this song is a bit ordinary. Uh, I don't care for it. No. Oh, that's the Paul McCartney one. What a shame. I know. I know. Because we love Paul and how exciting to have Paul McCartney play on a Rolling Stones record. That's pretty ordinary. And there's another one called something about a sword that's pretty dreadful i reckon not great lyrics mick jagger cops a little bit of flack sometimes for the lyrics that perhaps are not great but i reckon in general the lyrics are pretty good on this mm-hmm. uh, bite your head off featuring paul mccartney i'll live by the sword That's the other dud, I reckon. And it's weird because it features Elton John, but you can't really hear him. And you think, well, okay, you've got Elton John, let him off the leash. But in general, the opening is angry, which is great. Get Close is really good, depending on you is great. Oh, Dreamy Skies, that's the other classic. It, it sort of sounds a bit like it's got a touch of Sweet Virginia from Exile. It's got a touch of Wild Horses, Ronnie Wood playing fabulous steel guitar or uh, Dobro. Or, and then there's one that Mess It Up has got a sort of a funk feel. And then they close, and this was the producer's idea, he sort of challenged them. He said, why don't you record the Muddy Waters song, which is where the band got its name? And of course, it's Muddy Waters song from the 40s, maybe the 50s, simply called Rolling Stone or Rolling Stone. And it's just a beautiful way to finish. Apparently, he just said, right, Mick and Keith, 
Keith play guitar, Mick sing and play harmonica. They did five takes. Each take got better and better. Apparently, each take they got closer and closer, and eventually they were sort of standing eye to eye, and it's a really great way to close the album. It's called Rolling Stone Blues. As I say, I've been waiting 40 years for them to make an album that is almost as good as some of those classics. For me, Tattoo You, which came out in 81, was the last great, the last really great Rolling Stones album. Steel Wheels maybe had a couple. Undercover was pretty dreadful. Rock and a Hard Place. So, yeah. Bridges to Babylon, not in your playlist. (laughs) Terrible. The other drag about this new one is I reckon the cover's pretty ordinary too. And and that's really important. If I fall in love with an album, I want to be able to fall in love with the cover as well. I hear the sweet, sweet sounds of heaven Falling down, falling down to this earth I hear the sweet Look, I just think, you know, it's pretty exciting. In 2023, the world seems to be uh, falling apart, but these heroes of ours are still vital. Bob Dylan is touring America. He has developed this new thing where he seems to be playing songs that are relevant to the towns that he's in. Hmm. So when he was in St. Louis, he played a Chuck Berry song. Uh, In Chicago, he played... Muddy Waters song about Chicago. These are artists, these are 82 years old. Paul McCartney, we saw him at at Marvel Stadium a couple of weeks ago and it was a remarkable show. The Stones have put out an album that's got some wonderful moments on it. It's very exciting and we're very lucky. We are very lucky. So, um, you know, as Paul McCartney said, when people have been trying to say, oh, how would you strip down the double white album to make one good single album? And he's always said, ah, it's the Beatles. It's a, it's a bloody white album. Shut up. Yeah. As I've gone and done the worst Paul McCartney uh, impression ever. I agree. I mean, look, I, you know, I don't know that I will ever play Revolution number nine, number nine. Again, I will. Uh, well, good on you. When I was ten years old, and I got, I saved up for months to get the double white album. Yeah. And when it got to that, I've heard so many stories about people saying, "You know what? I skipped that. I never did. Never." Good and I, it, I absorbed it. And there was a great podcast I heard about three, four years ago where they talked about the whole story of music concrete and yeah. that sort of experimental stuff and put everything into context. And I just, I think I'll, I, I look. Am I going to say, oh, I love it, I adore it? No, I'd be lying. But do yeah. I like it and respect it? Yes, I do. And yeah. having the historical context always made that more fascinating. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation. Oh, oh, good on you, Morris. It's one of the great joys is to chat with you about music. So thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for, for coming on again. And it's wonderful to know that, that uh, Rock Wiz is still out there in the yeah. ether. You, you... Yeah, we're doing a... a, a our normal run of uh, Good Friday show at Hamer Hall, followed by a couple of shows up at Byron for Blues Fest. We'll keep touring next year. We're not sure about uh, more recorded episodes with Foxtel, but we we love doing those live shows. So, yeah, 
There's, there's no stopping us. Fantastic. Well, anyway, um, it's yeah, it's been wonderful. And, Good on uh, you, mate. Thank you so much, Brian. All right, well, we'll be back in a moment and with whoever I've got lined up next in this uh, plethora, as Max Crawdaddy would say. That's right. Of, Happy uh, music fans and music commentators. We'll be back in a moment. extravaganza and my next guest on the show is someone who was on the very first episode of love that album all of 12 years ago and i had no idea what i was doing back then i say this every time but i really didn't but he's still here and he still has faith in this show for that i'm extremely grateful i'm talking about music journalist mr jeff jenkins welcome back to love that album and they said it would never last mo here we are 12 years later here we are yeah a, a lot of people really did say it would never last they said what's a podcast and now here we are all these years later and everyone's doing a podcast. I'm surprised you're not doing a podcast. No, I'm just honoured to be on this show whenever you want. I'm honoured to have you back. And what we ought to do next year is like, we're going to do an album. I think we were speaking before we started recording about the possibility. I want to do uh, Richard Clapton's Goodbye Tiger on the show. I don't know if that's a favourite of yours, but I think, I mean, it's Sydney-centric, but we won't hold that against him. Aussie classic. It is great. So maybe that, you come up with a great Aussie classic if, if that one doesn't work. We'll have you on to do a regular show but here we are december 2023 and we're going to talk about your favorite recordings of the year so i turn the floor over to you well i can't believe the year is nearly over mo it's extraordinary but it has been a great year for music and starting i'm going to have a top five countdown of top five so starting at number five is my favorite australian singer and songwriter i'm talking about stephen cummings stephen's love town is my all-time favorite album but this one's got quite a backstory so go with me on this, taking you back to the dim, dark days of 2020, but just before COVID kicked in. Stephen was in Brisbane doing a gig up there, and he, he just didn't feel quite right. He was losing his balance. He was struggling to play the guitar, and he was a little bit freaked out by it. And he flew home to Melbourne the next day, and his wife met him at the airport, and she just went, something's not right here. Took him straight to the hospital, and they realised that he'd had a massive stroke. Uh, so it was pretty dramatic, and so he was in hospital for a long time. essentially had to learn to walk and talk again. It was full on. As part of his rehab, his good friend Robert Gouge from a couple of bands, but particularly I'm Talking back in the 80s, great Melbourne band, and he's written a lot of songs with Stephen over the years. He said, let's work on some new songs. Let's work on an album, essentially just to help Stephen do his rehab and just have something to focus on apart from all the rehab he had to do. It turned into this remarkable record called 100 Years From Now. We are experiencing personal problems at this time We are presently going out of our mind 
is just the triumph of the human spirit. Obviously, the stroke has affected his vocal. He sounds different to the classic Stephen Cummings, but he still sounds great. And it's his 21st solo album. I've been banging on for years that he should be in the Art Hall of Fame. It's ridiculous that he's not. That kind of makes me angry when I think about it. It's been an amazing career of just quality album after quality album. But this is such a special record. And when I heard Carry Your Heart, which was the first single, I was quite emotional hearing it. And it's such a beautiful piece of music. And so credit to, obviously, Stephen for making this record, but Robert Gouge for making it happen. And then going to one of the gigs of the year, he did an album launch at the Memo Music Hall in St Kilda, which is a great venue and really special night because everywhere you looked, there was a member of the Australian music community. And it was just great to see them there supporting Stephen. Like Daryl Braithwaite was there, Dave Graney and Claire Moore, Bill McDonald, who plays with Paul Kelly, Jack Howard from Hunters and Collectors, Glenn Benny from The Underground Lovers. It was just one of those really great nights and Stephen was so wonderful and the band was so great. So yeah, this is a really special album for so many reasons, but mainly because I'm a huge fan of Stephen Cumming. Right. Um, I haven't heard the whole album. I have heard a few songs, but the couple that I heard, I thought, oh, talk about autobiographical. There was one called Tired of Being Blue and another one, Anxiety Attack. And I thought, I mean, look, I wish that his life hadn't gone to that stage that he had to write those songs, but he's gone and, well, as the old cliched saying goes, he's taken the lemon and uh, really made something sweet out of it. But yeah, this is a lovely album, at least the songs that I've heard. Yeah, yeah. No, a really special record from Stephen. And, and some, yeah, an absolute miracle. I mean, I'm sort of thinking back a few years ago, I mean, it's sort of different in a way, but Jim Keyes had that opportunity and he was ill of health, but he had the opportunity to put out a couple of albums because he had, who was it? Was it Davy Lane, I think, yeah. who, who believed in him? You know, I hope that we still get more from Stephen, but yeah, to go from having a stroke and having to learn how to do everything again, yeah, it is, as you say, a triumph of the human spirit, and it's so good to see that he's got all that support. I actually saw him as a punter in the audience. I went to... Uh, what do they call the Brunswick Ballroom a few months ago to see The Apartments Ah, and uh, that was a wonderful show uh, with I think Halfway was it was the band that was the support but yes yeah, Stephen was there with Dave Graney and Claire Moore and a few other people who were just surrounding him and keeping him chatting and looking after him and it was just so cool yeah and I think just what you said it's a wonderful thing about our music community yeah. regardless of the city you're in when people make music and it's something that they can get together during hard times Times and go, let's make some more music. And it's such a beautiful thing. And that's what, but yeah, as I said, this album's so special for many reasons, 100 years from now. It's so hard to build you, my uncertainty, holding back my tears, facing all my fears. What am I to do? And then at number four, another artist that I've loved for a long time, and I think a really underrated songwriter. And I love this guy for a lot of reasons. He's one of the great blokes uh, in music. Everyone does like him. I'm, I'm talking about Nick Barker. And I have a real soft spot for Nick Barker because when I was starting out writing about music at the end of the 80s, Nick Barker and the Reptiles were starting out. He sort of had a career before that in the Wreckery, and they've actually made a brand new album this year too, which is quite remarkable with Hugo Race. But I got to know Nick 
Nick through Nick Barker and the Reptiles, who were a band that uh, did sort of two big albums. When I say big, they had a big profile, they had a big live following. They didn't sell a lot of records, but it was kind of like they did because everyone knew who they were, Nick Barker and the Reptiles. But as I said, a real underrated songwriter. I've loved his work over the years. He's always had just great one-liners in his songs, just a wonderful way with words. But this record is actually quite a serious record. There are not as many one-liners on this record. It's his first solo album, well, the first album with his name on it for 14 years, so it's been a long time. Dear Mom, I blamed you when you died. I took a bucket full of heroin, mainly out of spite. Dear Mom, I blamed you when you died. But again, a really emotional record. There's a song on it called Unraveling World. And I sort of knew this story because he was really, um, I, I guess it really shaped his life, which it would have. His mum died when he was just a teenager and he didn't have a great relationship with his dad. So he moved out of home, out of Mount Waverley and moved into a squat in St Gilda. So it was a pretty heavy time for him. And obviously it wasn't a positive time in his life, but it really did set him on a path to, you know, what he's done for the rest of his life, which is make great music. So. He shapes that song, Unraveling World, as a letter to his mum. It's just heartbreaking and raw. And then at the end of the record, the record, the album's called Exoskeleton. The end of the album is a song called Endoskeleton, and it's a song about his dad's death. And it's kind of, which I think was only more recent in the last couple of years, and that brought up so many memories for him. As I said, he didn't have a great relationship with his dad. And there's one line in Endoskeleton that just, you know, hits me in the heart every time. It's so powerful and raw and yeah it's just a, an emotional line he sings you were always just so hateful on the day you died I've never been so grateful it's oh. just wow and, uh. but yeah Nick Barker is yeah he's a great artist and as I said I think a bit underrated but if you're a fan you know how great he is and this was a, such a yeah a heavy record uh, in a lot of ways but great record I'm sort of embarrassed because I don't think I really gave him much of a chance back in the reptiles days in fact, the one thing that sort of stays in my mind was, I don't know if you remember a film made in Melbourne, I think Rachel Griffiths was in it, called Amy. And I think her character had been married to Nick Barker's character who gets electrocuted on stage at a gig, which I'm pretty sure was filmed at the My Music Bowl. And that's my enduring memory of Nick Barker. Uh, so my shame. But I did listen to the title track, Exoskeleton, and I thought, this is one of the best songs that Neil Young and Crazy Horse never recorded. There's a lot of Neil Young-like guitars on this record. And it's not its not just the guitar. I mean, the guitar, sure, is a big part of it. But the harmonies, the vocal harmonies sound like crazy horse vocal harmonies yeah he's obviously a big crazy horse fan but yeah great song and um, I certainly do want to investigate this further I think Nick played pretty much all the guitars on the record but he made the album with Shane O'Mara and an incredible producer and there's just a great combination and yeah we were talking uh, off air about Weddings Parties Anything and I know they're probably your favourite Aussie band they are yes they are I love them as well a funny story and I talked to Nick about this record we're talking about songwriting and and he said, you know, how much he loves Mick Thomas and how they became really great friends in a bizarre way. Going back to those reptiles days, uh, Mick Thomas and Pete Lawler just thought Nick was just this drunken, yobbo, Aussie rocker, and they had no time for him. And I don't know if Nick kind of confronted them one night about it or whatever. They ended up just having a huge night out on the beer 
years and then ended up on the table at whatever bar they were singing old Aussie folk songs, old Aussie sort of convict songs. Oh, wow. Thomas was like, I can't believe you know these songs. And Nick was like, that's why I'm a songwriter. I grew up on this stuff through his mum. He knew all those songs. So they became great friends. He and Nick Thomas are great, great friends. list for 2023 and this record a real highlight of me this year on on the telly was watching uh, I don't know if you got to see it uh, Daisy Jones and the Six it's on some streaming service I don't know which one I haven't Joanne read the book and was hugely taken with it and then said we've got to get this streaming service just so I can watch the show I don't know I I think she enjoyed the show but she was really in love with the book yeah I've read a bit of the book but I then saw the TV show and it's just I thought it was fantastic obviously loosely based on the Fleetwood Mac story. It's a great story, but the music and the soundtrack was so fantastic. The reason I'm talking about that is then I got the uh, debut album from Minor Gold, which is essentially a duo, Tracy McNeil and Dan Parsons. But I don't see around corners, all I know is east to west. North and south, it's an educated guess. All of my virtues and all of my charms. Never could stop me from getting it wrong But I can get it right with you great Aussie musicians. Tracy's originally from Canada. And to me, it's like a companion piece to Daisy Jones and the Six. Uh, And they could have done the soundtrack easily. It's just such a beautiful West Coast sounding record. This makes me smile every time I hear it. There's a song on it called Around the Bend, which is just so beautiful. Such a cruisy piece of music. Another song called Don't Change, which is not the in-excess song. It's an original. They're great songwriters. But that mix of male-female vocal dynamic, the voices just blend so beautifully together. I just love this record from Minor Goal. You mentioned that Tracy McNeil was Canadian and sort of thought that like out of, and there are quite a lot of romantic partners who do writing and recording of songs together. And it's they sort of brought me in mind a little bit of a Canadian duo. I'm not sure if they're from Toronto, although I know that the husband speaks fluent French. So maybe they're Quebecois, I don't know, but they're called Whitehorse and they're definitely worth your time. I think you will really, really like them. We covered one of their albums on the show years ago, but Minor Gold sort of brought me in mind of them. So they had an album called, hang on, I've got to get this right. And we pro- this is probably the album that we did. The Fate of the World Depends on This Kiss, which, I mean, how are you not going to reach for an album with a title like that? But yeah, that's my recommendation to you, White Horse. Give them a shot if you like Minor Gold, I think. I will check that out. Yeah, love the gold record. And I'm not sure what I'll find between our laughter lines I you Shine like gold when you've won you found a place in the Which 
brings us to number two on my list. And I made the call in January that this was going to be album of the year. And it was just bumped out by a latecomer to the year. But this record, and again, an amazing backstory, Ella Hooper. And the album's called Small Town Temple. to her hometown of Violet Town, which of course she and her brother Jesse put on the map when Killing Heidi were just a sensation, a teen sensation back in sort of 99, 2000. They were absolutely massive in Australia with their debut album Reflector. Very much sort of a pop rock record. And as I said, they were very young. I think she had her first number one single on her 17th birthday. It was quite an extraordinary thing. They won a lot of arias, was just massive. But then obviously, you know, it was tough to deal with all that sort of fame. This record is very different to Killing Heidi. It's very much a rootsy record, very much going home and rediscovering, you know, the sort of joy of, uh, and the innocence of youth. But as I said, that's an amazing backstory in itself. But the bigger backstory was she went home. I think it was during COVID when she was kind of making the record just to visit her mum. And then, of course, she got kind of stuck there. But it was great that she got to spend time with her mum. Her mum, unfortunately, had cancer. And I think she knew that she didn't have a long time to go. So it was great for her to spend time with her mum and she got her mum to sing the opening track sort of the intro to the record which is really special and she made the record the small town temple title is a reference to her mum lived in an old church on the outskirts of town and it was just such a welcoming place to, for everyone in town and so you know she recorded and wrote a lot of the songs in the small town temple at her mum's place got her mum to sing on the first track and then her mum and dad were no longer together but she got her dad to uh, play on the final Final track on the record so they kind of book in the album then the album was all done so I think her mum and dad got to hear the final result which was wonderful then her uh, I think her dad might have died first and then suddenly and unexpectedly and then her mum died within the space of a couple of weeks or around the other way it was quite heartbreaking when I did an interview with Ella I, I said oh you know tell us about this record and she was like have you got a box of tissues handy hmm. I didn't know what she was referring to and then it was like oh my god God. But so beautiful that and serendipitous that she had her mum and her dad on one of her records for the very first time. It's just quite amazing. And, and particularly when it's such a personal record, there's a song for her brother, you know, songs about growing up in Violet Town. So yeah, as I said, it's the sound of an artist recapturing that joy and innocence of youth, as well as taking control of her career. There's a great song on the record where she sings, I'll be my own goddess. So she's just saying, whatever crap goes on in the music business. I can write and record the way I want to do it. Uh, Co-produced by Marcel Borak, who's just a wonderful producer, who, yeah, you know well, and Mm. his work this year with Dan Warner has been so special as well. Yeah, that was a good album. Dan put out a a really good album, I think. Was it March of this year? Well, yeah, I think that's when he launched it. I think it was last year it actually Uh, came. Okay, that's why I'm remembering it. Yeah, you're right. Uh, This year, otherwise it would have been in my top five, the Maybe Then album from Dan Warner. But yeah, Marcel Borak, wonderful producer, did a great job of this Ella Hooper record and, I, and yeah I just hope it's, it's the album that I always hoped she was going to make to me she's kind of like an Aussie Linda Ronstadt and she na- 
nailed that on this record. Bit of Bonnie Raitt in there as well and lots of different things. But in that rootsy kind of field and she's just quality songwriter and, and she's still such a star, Ella Hooper. Fantastic. Standout track. Um, yeah, the title track's a ripper. Every song. I, I can I know that sounds like a cliche, but it was one of those records that, and that's why I was kind of like, this is gonna be album of the year. It's not a really long record. It would I, I'm guessing sort of 30, 35 minutes or something, because it was one of those records that's like, I'm gonna play it again. So I would just listen to it over and over and over again and have a different sort of favorite every time. So pick any track. I try. I try to live it. It brings us to my favourite album of the year. And as I said, it just bumped Ella out of top spot on my list. It came out, I think, November 17th, but I did have it for a couple of months before that. So I've really grown to love it. I lo- loved it on first listen. And it's a guy that I know you know I'm a huge fan of. Perry Keys is his name. He's out of Sydney. They are very Sydney-centric songs, but they're universal themes as well. And this one has quite a backstory. Perry Keys is a real deal. People were coming fresh to him. He grew up on the block in Redfern. So very tough part of Sydney, but it's been gentrified, of course. He now lives in public housing in Waterloo, a neighbouring suburb in Sydney. He had polio as a child. I think he was the last confirmed case of polio in Australia. So that really shaped his life. So as all his mates were off playing, you know, rugby league and dreaming of playing for the Rabbitohs, who he loves, he obviously couldn't do that. So he was in his bedroom with his guitar writing songs and he just became the most remarkable songwriter. To me, he's one of the great Australian songwriters. He is just top shelf. As I said, the backdrop to this album is it's going on all over the world, but sort of this urban renewal of demolishing public housing, rebuilding, which again is well-intentioned, of course, but it has such a human cost because you can't just knock down a block of flats and build a new block of flats the next day. So people have to be relocated and it is heartbreaking. I spoke to Perry about this and he was talking about his neighbours and a conversation that he overheard two of his neighbours and just saying what's going to happen and it's knowing that they're going to be relocated and they may never see each other ever again and just the human cost to that urban renewal for want of a better term. So that's kind of the backdrop to this album which I think originally had the working title of Waterloo. He ended up calling the album Black and White Town. Walking at midnight through the lot I took Pollyanna by the hand She said I know the ground's just gravel Tonight it feels like quicksand Well I pulled her close to me as we sat Perry's sixth album. All of them have been great. If you want to start with a, a Perry album, maybe you start, you could start anywhere, but his third album, Johnny Ray's Downtown, is just a classic, but they're all classic. He just has such an eye for detail. This album was produced by Michael Carpenter. Oh, Michael Carpenter's just joined the Love That Album Facebook group and a Facebook friend said, oh, you like Power Pop? I'll bring this guy in. I said, I know who Michael Carpenter is. Oh my Lord. So uh, we have a tentative agreement that he's on 
was shown that year. What, yeah, he's a king of power pop and what a musician, what a great producer. So he very disconnected. I don't think it took very long to record this album. They just churned it out because Michael Carpet can play anything as well. So he plays a lot of this record. Perry just absolutely loved it. He will make more records with Michael Carpenter. I don't say obviously, but there are three influences really leap out. Perry loves all these artists, Lou Reed, The Clash and Springsteen. There's another great track on the album, which you will love. It's got all those Beach Boys harmonies. I heard it. Walking at Midnight Through the Lot. Is that the one? Yeah, I I listened to that online. You're going to find this interesting because this comes back to a band that I know you really love. So because there was, he's singing like Springsteen and there's harmonies like the Beach Boys, but the melody really reminded me of the song Surf City Limits by one of your favorite bands, The Foves. Wow. Yeah. So I, I figure, you know, it's one thing to take the obvious route of what the influences are, but I reckon he's a Foves fan. Yeah, that's a really, we probably have talked about The Foves because, yeah, I love The Foves. My best mate, Corey, who's really close to Perry as well, uh, loves The Foves. So, yeah, that's a really good, I'm going to, if Corey hasn't thought of that, I'm going to tell it to him right. because he, he will love that. So, yeah, making a lot of comparisons, but there's really, yeah, he's just one and only Perry Keys. He really is one of the greats and mm. I don't say that lightly. Well, you've certainly been a champion of him for many years. I've heard you speak about him on Triple R years ago and I think on one of these shows a few years ago, you whatever album he had out, it was your favourite album of the year. In fact, when you, you sent me a note saying, oh, I'll send you a list of what my favourites are and I went looking online and said, did Perry Keys come up with an album this year? Because surely that's going to be in the list. And I couldn't find a Perry Keys, but sure enough, it was in your list. And well, I do have to give my dear friend uh, Neil Rogers at Triple R credit for many, many years ago, his debut album, Meter. Neil was the first to play that, I think, on Melbourne Radio. And I became a fan through hearing it on Neil's show and then uh, talking to Neil about Perry. So yeah, credit to Neil Rogers. He converted me, then I converted Corey, and you know we converted our friend John. And now we're all obsessed fans. And Perry's probably like, oh God, I wish Neil had never played that on <laughs> What's crazy Melbourne guy? Well, he, is he getting anyone championing him up in Sydney? He should be grateful. Well, he, he kind of does, and more heavy hitters than, than me. Peter Garrett is a big Perry Keys fan. He oh, will go yeah. his gigs in Sydney. Uh, Tim Friedman from the Whitlams uh, is a big fan of Perry Keys. Actually, I think it was last year he recorded The Day John Sattler Broke His Jaw, which is probably uh, Perry's best-known song. And as Tim Friedman says, it's the best song ever written about rugby league, an extraordinary it's about much more than just rugby league as well. But yeah, Tim Friedman is a huge fan. And, and Tim and Perry, very different artists, but they're really close and really good friends as well. So he does have some champion and, and also a great author by the name of Larry Reiter, who's written so many great books. He's a big fan of Perry's as well. So he does have his champions, but deserves to have many more fans because it is obviously Paul Kelly, everyone in Australia knows. Everyone in Australia should know Perry Keys as well. He is just as good. And I love Paul Kelly. I'm not talking Paul Kelly down. No one ever is, but yeah, look, it, it, it seems like the media has only got room for one poet laureate in Australian music, as it were. So it's Paul Kelly. He's done a lot of stuff and he's been very creative. So thank goodness that people have gotten behind it. But yes, we have room for more. As I said, you can start anywhere, but yeah, the new Perry Keys album is called Black and White Town. There is no time to talk. Jesus took a walk. Be a sister's own salvation. Flaming swords for hire Set yourself on fire 
girl screams. She says well, the ceiling's thank you. As always, head. Jeff, you bring a great list of things which I now have to go and investigate. I had not gone out and bought a copy of the Stephen Cummings album because I was thinking, you know, how's it going to sound? How's it going to be? But just a cursory listen has... It has won me over. It's it's really heart rendering, and and all the other stuff. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that with uh, with me and the listeners, and hopefully people will go out there and search some of this music out for them to have it in their lives because it deserves to be heard. Yeah, no, thank you for the opportunity to rave on about all my favourites. It's always a joy talking music with you, Mo. As is you, Jeff. So I got to ask, any books in the offing? Anything that you're writing that you can talk about? Not really, but I, I certainly read a lot of books this year. Nominate a few of you favourite books for the year? Such a great year for Aussie music books too. Sam Fell wrote a history of Australian rock journalism called Full Coverage. That was a real treat. And I know that labour of Sam, he worked on it for so many years. I haven't got that yet, but a friend of mine has been harping on to me saying, I want to get you a book for your birthday. What do you want? What do you want? And I said, oh, yeah, maybe I'll ask him to get me that, but I haven't sort of reached out. So I think now that you're acting as a champion for that book, I'm going to tell my mate, yep, that's the one I want. Billy Pennell did the book launch, which was a real treat. Oh, wow. Okay. Who's going to be on this show? Awesome. Stuart Coop, he did a memoir of his life. He's written a lot of great music books over the years, but this one was about his life called Shake Some Action. And what a remarkable career, Stuart Coop. He's just, apart from being a rock star, he's done everything else in the music business, running a label, being a publicist, running a record store. Yeah, this done, obviously a journalist for so many years, author. It's just unbelievable. You go, I don't know how he lived so many different lives and managed to do all this. Uh, just a remarkable book. I felt tired reading it. Not because it's, you know, book it's a great book, but I felt tired, just everything that he'd done. Yes. Um, you know, it was like he'd lived 100 lives. So that's a great book. Deborah Conway, who's such a artist. I know you're a fan. I'm reading it now. Yeah, I, I love that book. Again, what a career she's had. A mate of mine, Michael Witherford from The Fish John West Reject, he wrote a memoir. Oh, wow. Him, Michael Turn It Up. I really enjoyed that as well. The Silver Chair Guy, Ben and Chris that's a sad story because obviously they're not talking to Daniel from the band I always hate that when bands fall out but you know I really you know what a remarkable career Silverchair had uh, Rod Willis the manager from Cold Chisel he's done a book I really enjoyed that book it's right in front of me now called Tide just finished reading that a couple of days ago so I, and I, I'm just about to get my hands on a copy of Stuart Lloyd's uh, Mental as Anything book again just a band that had hit after hit after hit in the 80s so can't wait to read that book so I think I enjoy reading books more than I enjoy writing them and sort of and I have respect <laughs> for people writing books because it's such an ordeal the book isn't going to say hey you didn't read this the correct way go back and do it again like maybe the subject for uh, I'm not going to mention any names the subject for a biography may say no you can do that bit again now you can books once the books are written they don't talk back to you so I can understand that but we'd love to see something come from you I mean maybe reach out to the foes reach out to Perry Keys Perry let me be your biographer. Yeah, Perry with his life story could be a movie, but it has been yeah, a real joy just to see so many great Australian music books. I think I've forgotten a few that I've read this year, so that was a real treat for me. Every few weeks it looked like, oh wow, there's another great book. Yeah, but that Sam Fell one, that's next on my list. I'm going to uh, try to get hold of and um, have a read of that, but yeah, it, it is great to see stuff from our backyard that's giving us so much entertaining reading. Yes, and 
this sell, and it made me sort of you know dig out old issues of you know Go Set because obviously it covers Go Set and then the Australian Rolling Stone and Duke and Ram and then the whole Street Press years, which is obviously really personal for me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so let me ask: Were you interviewed for that, or did they write about you? I sort of had a few dealings with Sam over the years, chatting to him about it. I was more just a cheerleader, you know, going, "This is an important book. Hang in there." Um, which he did. Credit to him. I get a couple of little mentions in the book, but it was just obviously a lot of people that I do know are in the book and it's just really important to document all those stories. They're really important and that's how, you know, the music press was was really important when we were growing up. That's how we discovered music. So, you know, absolutely. You know, the legends of Australian music like Ed Nimmerville and, and, yeah, and a number of other people. Anyway, once again, thank you so much, Jeff, for being a part of this yet again. The plan now is to get you on for a inverted commas regular show, whatever the hell that means, before next Christmas. We will discuss this off air. I pull out of my ass Richard Clapton's Goodbye Tiger, but we were just talking about that before. But if you've got something else that you think, you know what, I want to talk about this one because this one means a lot to me. Let's, whatever. But Mac 2024, the year that you come back to do a, a regular. Do you remember like that? I think the first thing that we did was Bruce Springsteen, Darkness on the Edge of Town versus The Wild, The Innocent, The Street Shuffle. And then a few weeks later, it was Cold Chisels East versus Circus Animals. So, yep. <laughs> They're great debates. And I think we also did get the knack, didn't we? We did. We did do get the knack. And I don't know if you ever got the chance to hear this, but I think was it last year or this year where I got to interview Prescott Niles from the knack? Yeah, that was just right. Okay. I can walk off the planet now. I've, I've spoken to a hero. And then this year, so hang on, we've got Don Walker for you. So, uh, very, very cool. So, congratulations. 12, a dozen years. Remarkable. Thank you. So, ne- next year, I hope it's not the unlucky year. Uh, unlucky 13 we'll see but anyway now once again my gratitude towards you Jeff thank you so much for being a part of this right from the very beginning really first episode and you're still here so thanks you so much thanks for having me Mo happy holidays and happy listening all the best to you too Jeff I'll be back in a few moments with whoever is next in my rotating cast of thousands on this end of year special you're listening to Love That Album episode 172 the show so far i know i certainly am that's why i do this type of episode most years i remember in the early days we used to call them something like shooting the shit or son of shooting the shit or planet of son of shooting the shit i don't know why maybe i was young and silly no not really young but i was silly anyway yeah and those shows were done with some other people but you know all wonderful jeff smith a fellow up in Sydney called John Sterrett, not the guy from Welco, a different John Sterrett. And I don't remember, was Eric in those shooting the shit shows? May well have been. I don't remember. Been a long time since I've had a look, since I had a, I haven't listened to it in years. But yeah, still always interesting, always good fun to do these end of the year retrospectives, talking about what we really enjoyed. And we're doing it again this year. Hope you've enjoyed listening to Brian Nankervis and Jeff Jenkins. We've got Pat Monaghan coming up in a few minutes, and I'll talk to you at the end of the episode as to who is coming up in episode 173, the other two correspondents who I sought out for their opinions, and also a bit of MP3 email feedback from a listener to the show. I'll talk to you all about that at the end of the program. But what I'm going to do at this point 
is read a couple of emails that I got from people within the group. One who is a workmate and very good friend of mine. And the other fellow is a listener from Boston who um, is very active in the group. Seems like a lovely fellow. So the first person is my great mate, Dave Blom. Dave has done not only a couple of shows with me as co-host, but when there was a period where I just felt like I didn't really want to podcast for a bit, I needed to clear my head a bit for about three months or something like that. He said, well, I will do the show in your absence. And I said, yeah, why don't you? I'm not precious. You want to come do the show in my name? Go for it. Have fun. And he did a terrific job. So Dave has decided to write in with his favorite song of the year. And he writes as such, Morris, big warning, guilty pleasure alert. Mm. I heard this playing on the radio at my local shops and I managed to shazam what it was. I know it is as mainstream as you can get, a former child actor with Disney's School of Rock, the musical, but Olivia Rodrigo's song Vampire has to be the song of the year for mine, a pop dance rock opera epic with gothic lore, kick-ass minor chords, lyrics where you can actually picture the toxicness. Is that a word? Toxicness? Toxicity, Dave? I don't know. <sighs> where you can actually picture the toxicness of the relationship that she was involved in. The film clip rules too. I think the clean lyrics version is better than the dropping the F-bomb version. She can also play it live rather well. She's just a tad talented. Dave. Every girl I ever talked to told me you were bad, bad news. You called them crazy. God, I hate the way I called them crazy too. You're so convincing. I do lie without flinching. Paralyzing, tragic little thrill Can't figure out just how you do it And God knows I never will And for me and not her Cause girls, you're Thanks for that, Dave. Um, yeah, I had to listen to the song. I've got to confess, it's not necessarily my bowl of fruit, my bag of almonds, my muffin of chocolate. But that's what I love about doing this is I love to hear what other people like. This is not about me. This is about what you like. And for all of that, I can understand why it is that you like it. You've been a long, big fan of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this is the sort of song that I picture goes well in there. And I'm not trying to be snide or anything like that. But this is this is big, like Eurovision type big. So I know where this fits into the sort of stuff that you are drawn to. But you have wide and varied taste, my friend. So I'm glad that you nominated this. I don't know, listeners out there to the podcast, do you like this song? Write into the Facebook group. Write me an email. Post on the Facebook group what you thought. You all Olivia Rodrigo fans? Let me know. Am I wrong on this? I know Dave's certainly right about it, that's for sure. All right, so who have we got next? Oh, yes. So the next email that I got was from a fellow in Boston called Ed Ross. Ed has been in the Facebook group, I don't know, maybe about three years. I'm sorry if I'm wrong about that, Ed. I'm not checking back at the moment, but one thing's for certain is that Ed has been very heavily involved in the Facebook group and is always posting interesting stuff. And I know that he's a man after my own heart because he loves power pop and he loves jazz. And he's always posting his music likes, not just in the group, but on his own timeline. I don't know if you're a father, Ed, but you certainly have a nice line in dad jokes, that's for sure. Always give me a bit of a smile, I've got to say. Anyway, yeah, Ed's tastes are wide and varied. I hope to be able to come to Boston sometime in the next few years and we'll meet up and have a beer or a beverage of your choice. Anyway, let's have a read of your email. You've gone and made a few selections and I've gone and listened to a couple of cuts of each of these people. I'll read this through and then say what I think at the end. Hi, Em. 
saw your post and it inspired me to be reflective. For your interest or pursuit, we'll share related links as I'm not so sure how to share MP3 from my phone, if I even had one. Use any or none as you wish, but please check them out. Welcome your feedback to better understand your tastes and interests better. Lindsay Foote. Folk singer from town next door, Winchester, Massachusetts, with music circuit experience in Toronto. Incredibly soulful, sweet voice with tender songs. Should be considered up there with Sean Colvin for Next Generation. If I painted a picture of where I thought I'd be, it'd be farther along, believe me. But you're finally standing on your Rami and the Reliables. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. Is it Rami? I don't know. I'm going to pronounce it Rami because I know a Rani. So I'm just replacing the N with an M. I'll call it Rami and the Reliables. Rami Gabriel is a very talented guitarist based in Chicago whose playing spans Arabian Middle Eastern songs to fun stylistic jaunts as demonstrated in probably my favorite fun record of the year, Drug Cocktail, by his, inverted commas, rock band Rami and the Reliables. The Reliables band is no collection of garage punk tees, but rather incredibly talented and seasoned Chicago stalwarts as members of the great groups NRBQ and the Flat Five. In this release, every song tips its hat to different artists and genres with great fun and reverence. Probably the most underappreciated and overlooked release of the year, but readily available on Bandcamp. I was hanging with the genie, Julia and John. We were horsing and a monkey and a fool The weather was changing, it couldn't go on. I needed a new number, number one. Glowbox. Every once in a while, a power pop release happens to grab me, but most just don't seem to have the right mix of hooky songs, great harmony vocals, and sharp performances. Fortunately, I stumbled across this great band from here in Boston and their debut release. They have also had the honor to play in the renowned IPO, International Pop Overthrow, showcase founded years ago by pop aficionado David Bash, the Northeast Showcase, which happens to be this week. A great collection of fresh rock and tunes that need to make it to more airwaves and very funny cover art. The careless indecision pointless by its own admission Never standing firm or speaking true Idolizing this direction Problems left without correction Cracks that wide Watch as things fall through Every convolute Thomas Walsh. Coming straight out of the harmonic rock earmarked by XTC, Jellyfish, Semantics and the Merrymakers is Thomas Walsh, who is co-founder of the duo Pugwash, a band which has been around forever, but somehow I missed. I believe an NRBQ friend referenced him and I saw him live in an intimate show at one of New England's finest recording studios, Q Division in Cambridge, Massachusetts. While this Irishman shared a superset, his new release, The Rest is History, is near perfection with memory melodies, super harmonies, and great production. In also finding him, I've been very happy to uncover his solo and previous Pugwash recordings. Every conversation turns to revolution. 
Edward O'Connell. I met Ed, who was accompanying Thomas Walsh on his brief East Coast tour. A radio on-air veteran like myself, we reminisced about formats, stations, and artists from the old days, including NRBQ, in which his late brother PJ was a contributing member. I was surprised after our long conversation that he presented me with his CD, Feel Some Love, as I did not know he was a musician as well, and in fact provided a great cadre of guitars for Walsh's show. The album at first surprised me, as I was not expecting a near clone of Tom Petty's voice, but quickly was drawn into the fantastic, candid and sensitive songwriting with solid musicianship, stellar harmonic vocals and superlative production providing a disc of Petty meets Costello meets Lynn. All songs really grew on me and helped me to better understand the great essence of Ed. That's enough and too much. As Jim Carrey once shouted in the mask, somebody stop me. Look forward to your thoughts, Ed. Thank you so much, Ed. You've gone to a lot of trouble there to uh, not only make your picks, but also give me some descriptions there as to uh, the artists that you've picked. And I found something to like in all of it. I'd be lying if I said that I'd listened to all the albums start to finish. I just sort of cherry picked a couple of tracks here and there just to get an idea what these albums were about and work out what I'm going to follow up with, which is probably going to be all of it. Lindsay Foote, yeah, the comparison to Sean Colvin, or at least saying that she could be in Sean Colvin's leave. Well, that time will tell. Time will tell, but she's certainly very talented, that's for sure. Remy and the Reliables and Glowbox. Remy and the Reliables. Yep, that was fun. Uh, I listened to Ice Cream Superman. Thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, time will tell whether I think the rest of the music is really, really hooky or not, but um, I enjoyed that cut for sure. Glowbox. I mean, when as soon as you mentioned International Pop Overthrow, I thought, yep, this has got to be worth a listen to. Certainly they are. Uh, I know that you're a big power pop fan and I know that you're a big fan of Melbourne's ice cream hands. So there you go. We've gone and swapped recommendations. I gave you ice cream hands. You gave me Glowbox. I'm going to need some time with this, but uh, the couple of cuts that I heard from your call is very important to us. Uh, I really dug. Uh, Thomas Walsh, uh, previously of a band called Pugwash. Yeah, look, I'm going to need some time to sort of work out whether your comparisons to XTC and Jellyfish are valid, but hell, uh, that song, Take Your Time, is really quite something. I, I liked it a lot. I really liked it a lot. But for mine, I think that my favorite out of all your picks was this Edward O'Connell fellow. The song that I picked was, as no one once said from the album, Feel Some Love. As soon as you mentioned Petty meets Costello meets Lynn, so you know, basically an outtake of a Travelling Wilburys album, I could see that. I could really see that. But I'm surprised that you didn't make mention about the George Harrison-esque guitar because the first thing that I heard, even before I sort of detected that, yeah, his voice does sound like Tom Petty, but that... 80s into 90s George Harrison guitar style was so evident there. But yeah, Edward O'Connell, I'm definitely going to give that album a listen over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be on holiday, so 
I'm going to uh, really dig into these. Some great picks there, Ed. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, write in and share your picks with me and with the listeners. I really appreciate it more than you know. And I also appreciate how much you contribute into the Facebook group because face it, the Facebook group is not about me waffling on. I mean, often it is, but it's there to be a community. And I love it when people post what they're listening to or post a question and there's quite a few of you in there who's doing it but as of the time that I'm recording this there's 496 people in the Facebook group which is nothing small at all but there's a lot of you out there who are a little bit shy it would seem so please put something in tell us what you're listening to tell us what you like give us some feedback there's quite a few of you who do but not 496 of you so tell us what you're listening to tell us what you dig keep this community going that's what this is all about all right, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to play the Pat Monaghan segment. And uh, Pat's got some selections in there, some great selections, which are very different from what you've just heard. Here he is. And then at the end of the segment, I'll be back to talk about what's going to happen on the next episode, 173. Well, I mean, you already know there's going to be two more correspondents. I'll reveal who they are and uh, then finish out the show. But for the moment, here's the great Pat Monaghan. The trip through 2023 continues. My next guest on this end of year extravaganza is the owner, proprietor, and all round fine fellow over at Rocksteady Records, my good friend, Mr. Pat Monaghan. That's me. That's Hello, you. Morris. How you doing? All the better for seeing your smiling visage. The prize to me, too. <laughs> This is unusual in one regard because normally we have lots of wonderful music conversations over the counter at uh, at Rocksteady. So you're the one guest, I think, on the show who I get to see on a regular basis in the flesh. Wow. Um, So there you go. This means a lot to me that you um, decided to come along and... Oh, I'm honoured to be here, Morris. That's that's very kind of you. Very happy to have you on. It's been way too long. I think it's been like, whatever, two years since we did one of these types of shows and we haven't done like a inverted commas regular love that album together in uh, in a while so maybe we're gonna have to find something for next year yeah cool i'll definitely be up for that you know the brief i said to you i'd like you to come up with as many as you wish albums to talk about that floated your boat that got you excited that got you stimulated that you would want to talk about and obviously working and running a record store means you get to hear more than your fair share so this must have been a hard decision to narrow it down uh Yes and no, because I'm, in all modesty, also a judge for the Australian Music Prize. I have, just for that simple task of judging the winner of the Australian Music Prize for 2023, which was announced about two and a half hours ago. I saw a post. Yeah, yeah. I have listened to, for that purpose, 430 albums, most of them at least twice. So uh, let me ask you this. I mean, as a judge of a music prize, and certainly it's it's a wonderful endeavour because, you know, whoever wins will get a budget to keep doing what they love. And yeah, that's exactly. not easy in the 21st century, the way how musicians can often struggle. But how do you know with two listens of an album whether it's destined to be something that you'll be wanting to pick up five years from now well I'm, i don't know if that's if it's that bigger call but what you do is 
over a period of months, I get sent five to 10 albums a week. And so do all the other judges. I think Mm. there's about 31 judges from memory, maybe 33, from all different aspects of what people call the music industry in Australia. And I would, you listen to the whole album one through like once. And then what I do is I leave it for a day or two or a week, go back and listen again. Then I listen again immediately after. And then you grade albums, Mm -hmm. which I won't go into because I'm probably not meant to. Um, (laughs) You decide there's three or four levels that you grade an album. You judge them against various things. And then the list goes from 430, it gets narrowed down and narrowed down and narrowed down and narrowed down and narrowed down down till two or three weeks ago, it got narrowed down to the final nine. And then you nominate your favourite album of the year and then your number two and your number three. And with your number one, you have to give a reasonably lengthy reason while while you believe that is your favourite album of the year. I think the winner this year was a worthy winner. Look, I think all the nominees were worthy nominees. It's great that you actually make the final like 200, really, when you consider that each one of the judges is listening to 430 records. Mm. And, you know, I've heard some rubbish this year. And um, (laughs) I've also heard some, like, there's been a bunch of albums I heard that I probably wouldn't have been aware of without being a judge on the Australian Music Prize and things that I was able to contact artists and get copies of their records in. So, you know, hats off to the people who nominated other artists or record companies who did or artists who nominated themselves. You you can put yourself in the pool, as it were. I forget what your question was, Morris, but um, I was how do I reach that point kind of Well, thing. I, I guess that's that's the bottom line of it. I mean, I mean, I think look, my original question was how do you judge from a mere two or three re-listens that something is going to be worth such oh. a such a big thing because if you weren't judging something for a prize you you'd listen find out right i'm infatuated with this or maybe not but it's something worthy and you keep coming back to it over a period of months and play it probably dozens of times yeah I, yeah true. stop me if stop me if that's not a fair question there's well, just that's a fair question i'm just trying to find a reasonable answer my friend don mariani used to say and i imagine he still does that anyone with ears can tell shit from clay <laughs> like he's mixing his metaphors i'm sure but essentially you can you can hear something and go that's a fine example of its type but that's nothing special right you know you can go that's a worthwhile power pop record for example in your collection i'm talking about you morris that you might go well i've got 50 absolute belting power pop records yes this is not going to make it 51. You know, it's good, it's worthy, but, you know, it does not, or it's not going to knock one of my 50 out. Do you know what I mean? So sure. I can hear records and go, that's that's pretty good, but it's like if you don't jump on this bus, there's going to be another one along in five minutes. Right. So you try to hear the special record, you know, the record where you go, oh, my God, that person has taken their art forward or that person's made a better version of their last record. So that's a good record. But the person who's taken their art forward has made an even better record than the person who just consolidated what they'd done before. The other thing is because there's 31 judges, there'll be like someone who knows, for example, the metal genre inside out, upside down and backwards, while I will just go, that sounds like a good metal record, but so does that. Oh, and so does that. And so does that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That's really fascinating, actually, because you're challenged. I mean, well, maybe not just challenged, but 
you might give, I don't know if honest is the word, but you might have a more, oh, I'm, look, I'm going to use the word honest, you can come up with a different word. Sure. You might have a more honest response to a genre that is not something that you live with. Mm. Um, and someone else who is a metal fanatic might say, no, 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 I know my metal and that's not a good album or that's an average album. But sure. who's to say that your opinion about it being really great is any less valid than the so-called expert? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm 100% correct. Just coming back to also a point that you made before, because you were specifically saying, okay, well, power pop. I think you and I had a conversation many years ago specifically about Americana, but this can apply to power pop. And I've said the same thing about power pop, you know, a genre which you know I adore. Hmm. But all too often I've heard artists who are slavish to the style rather than to the craft of a great song that just happens to fall within that sure. style. Um, sure. And I'm trying to think, there was an album that was one of my favorite first time listens last year, but came out like in 1978 or something like that. But it's still turning people's heads and certainly turn my head is this one guy, I think in New Jersey, Scott Thurling put me onto this. His project is called The Toms. And, oh, you told me about this. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And like a, a year, sometime last year, I think it was, or maybe it was the year before, I don't remember. I heard his debut album for the first time and he's still recording albums with this. Mm. Nowadays, it's with a whole band. But at the time, he recorded this whole album by himself and every song as a piece of song craft was an absolute cracker. But as well as a power pop album stylishly it was absolutely fantastic and so that i mean but i think you and i had that conversation years ago about americana and it sounds to me like you're sort of making the same point you know someone who's not necessarily pushing forward they're just making yeah that's another good album um mm. may satisfy the longtime fans may not but but um yeah songcraft is a is a funny thing yes that's why i've never attempted actually no that's not quite <laughs> quite true i did once attempt to write a song and a band i was in performed it and we did it once and i think we split up afterward I'm I'm not quite sure if it was well, my you know, fault, but you know, there, there was, oh, that's good. Well, there was a there was clearly a much, much, much better songwriter in the band. Hey, Adam, if you're listening. Anyway, enough of that. Yes. Um, yes. We are here to talk about your favourite albums for the year. Now, you went and clued me into the. Yeah, well, I've changed my mind on a couple since I did that, but go on. Okay, right. Well, then I had a chance to listen to the two that I remembered. Okay. Um, so I don't know if I'll. If, well, if you've gone and changed it to something else that I know nothing about, I slipped one out. Okay. My favorite album of the year was this one, which is the PJ Harvey album that was released this year, I Inside the Old Year Dying. if you've heard this Morris I have not no it's her first album in probably I think about three or four years now and while her last two have been quite political in content and have used really big bands including people like Terry Edwards the saxophonist who's played with everyone from you know Tom Waits to Nick Gave to Godspeed You Black Emperor to Madness to The Specials and James Johnson from Gallant Drunk and The Bad Seeds and The Specials Drummer and Mick Harvey, they all played on the last two or three records. This one has got a much smaller band and James Johnson, he's been gallon drunk, is still there. But instead of mostly playing guitar and keyboards, he's playing violin. Okay. So 
It's a more, it sounds like a bad thing, but it's not. Uh, it's a more insular sounding record. It looks more inward. It's sort of set in Dorset, which is where Polly Harvey grew up. And it borrows from and uh, I guess quotes from Shakespeare and the life of Elvis Presley. Half of it is in the Dorset tongue, which is an old English dialect. Wow. Okay. A lot of that came from Polly's prose poem book that came out about 18 months, two years ago, called Orlam. That sort of dovetailed into the record. And it's like entering another world. She uses lots of traditional instruments like harp and violin and various kind of rhythm sticks and things like that. She sings the entire album in her high register. A lot of people I know have found a bit wearying on the ear, but I really like it because it's her singing in character. May, so may I ask a question here? I don't Ooh, know. I might be. I'm rabbit not I might be completely off track here, not having heard it. But based on your description, the high register and maybe the less than rock instrumentation that she's using, and something a little bit more insular, it sounds to me, in by description anyway, like something from Joanna Newsom. Would it be something like that? Am I way off track? No, but it's more earthy okay. than Joanna Newsom. As much as I like Joanna Newsom, she's prone to singing about pixies and, you know, <laughs> that kind of nonsense. Um, as much as I like her. Polly is singing about blood, earth, semen, gods, Elvis Presley, dirt. So it's a really earthy record. It, it, you can kind of feel the grit on this record. It's also, there's an element of spoken word. She's got a couple of actor friends on it. I think his name's Bren, Ben Wyshaw, amongst other things. He's now Q in the latest James Bond films. Okay. But he's a really good actor. And then there's uh, Colin Morgan, who's another UK actor. He also does spoken word on it. So I like that record because it took me into a world that I knew nothing about, even though I'd read the book and I read the English translation because I, I read, well, the, the Dorset, dialect and then read the English translation just so I knew what I was reading. Um, they're both kind of fascinating doors into um, worlds I didn't know, you know, I knew nothing about. So I found that a completely fascinating record. I certainly look forward to uh, giving this somewhat of a listen because I'll be selecting tracks to play as a part if of this. If it sounds like anything else in her catalogue, it's probably, it sounds like White Chalk. I'm and, uh, only familiar with a couple of the albums. I think there was one from the 90s, maybe early noughties. Oh, I can't remember the name. Is the one with her on the front cover, I think on a busy London street or oh, something. that's Stories of the City, Stories of the Sea. That's, the, I think, the one that I remember listening to years ago. That's the one with Tom York. Is right. Yeah, okay. yeah. I think that's the only record that in her catalogue that she has misgivings about. Oh, interesting. I think she's won two or three Mercury Prizes. She's the only person to do that. She won for that album. I think that album edged her a little bit too close to the mainstream and she just felt a bit, mm, not sure I feel right about that. But yeah, good record, really good record. But this one sound, White Chalk is her kind of, her at a piano and once again, mostly singing in that kind of high register. Like at times she sounds a bit like Annie Briggs or Sandy Denny. Oh, wow. Okay. But maybe not with the purity of those voices, more earthy. But that, that's probably my favourite record of the year. Mm -hmm. I'm going to swiftly move on to a record that I might have shown you. In fact, I think I did, which is Naretha Williams. You did show me this. Was it a couple of months ago, something like that, possibly? Yeah. It's called Into Dusk We Fall. You're the only home I know. 
Luther is a First Nations composer performer from Nam, Melbourne. To the best of my knowledge, this is her second album. You would call it music for a haunted dance floor kind of thing. It's kind of dark techno. It's got titles like Nightshade, Wind You Up, Tender Kill, Second Star, Honeysuckle, Into Dusk We Fall. Naretha is primarily a composer of electronic music. Uh, her previous album, the name of which escapes me, was centred around the Federation Bells here in Melbourne. So she composed it using the Federation Bells as the primary instrument. It also had elements of the organ that's in the Melbourne Town Hall. Right. So she's used to big, dark sounds. This is a much lighter sounding record, even though you would call it probably dark techno, but it's beautiful and haunting and you can dance to it. And um, <laughs> when Sleaford Mods did a signing, at Rocksteady Records. They did not want to hear their own album playing, which I fully understand, and most artists don't want to hear their own album playing. So I put on the Aretha Williams album and both of Sleafwood Mods autocopy. Wow. Uh, they were so enamoured of it. I told Naretha this and she was uh, very pleased. Naretha's previous album was released on a label called Heavy Machinery and that's a label run by a guy called Miles Brown. Miles Brown is maybe by his own choosing very much an unsung hero of the Melbourne music scene. Miles is definitely one of the five most heralded theremin players in the world. Wow. He lives quite close to where I live, so I see him quite often. Miles is originally from Tasmania and is a six foot three bald goth. And as I said, one of the best theremin players in the world. He, in winter, which is possibly his favourite season of the year, he gets around in a cowl. Sorry, in a what? In a cowl, C-O-W-L. Okay. So, like, he looks like a, a monk but dressed all in black. And at six foot three, he's an intimidating cat. I, I, I was wondering if you're going to use the word imposing, but intimidating That's works nice. He moves beyond imposing into intimidating. <laughs> Completely lovely. But it's always wonderful where he walks into Rocksteady, a crowded Rocksteady on a Saturday in winter, and the place is full of teenagers looking at Radiohead records or something, and a six foot three goth in a cowl walks in. It's something to see. He runs a label called, he's got a couple of record labels. Sorry, I'm rabbiting on here. but no, um, please. He runs a couple of record labels. One of them is called Heavy Machinery. And during Melbourne's long and bitter lockdowns, the city of Melbourne wanted to know what they could do for Melbourne artists. And initially, they wanted to put on gigs. But as Miles, who works amongst other things, for the town hall. He's in charge of the, the pipe organ. They approached Miles and said, we'll put on gigs. And Miles said, great, but no one can come. No one can attend these gigs. And they went, what do we do? So Miles says, let's have a record label. So he started Heavy Machinery Records. And in a period of, I think, 18 months, the city of Melbourne funded the release of 80 albums. Wow. On Miles's recommendation from artists like Emma Donovan, Hate Rock, Naretha Williams, from heavy, heavy industrial sounds to First Nations soul like Emma Donovan and the Putbacks, mm. old country to theremin experience to full-on techno. They released 80 records in an 18-month period. That's insane. And Miles arranged for a distribution deal. Each record they pressed 300 copies of. He did, basically did it from his office and got these records into stores to sell, got them to artists to sell via their band camp and things like that during lockdown. 
So an, an incredible achievement. Absolutely. And you know, some of these artists won awards, et cetera, et cetera. So um, Miles is an unsung hero. And I think he kind of likes it that way. But he's also in a couple of bands, well, at least a couple. Do you remember a band called the Ukuladies? Yes, I do. Yes. He's a theremin player in the Ukuladies. Okay. So the six foot bald goth, <laughs> five bald goth at the back yeah. of the theremin. That was Miles. Anyway, Miles also has a duo called the Narcoleptor. They don't fall asleep on the job, do they? I've never seen them because I've been too scared. <laughs> <laughs> it's Miles on theremin. And a woman whose name I've now forgotten, but she is an opera singer and concert harp player. And so they've made two records as the Narcoleptor, and they are beautiful and completely terrifying. But they're kind of like a Bernard Herrmann score. Oh, wow. That's high praise. But done with a theremin and a concert harp. And during one of the lockdowns in Rock City Records, I was often the only person in the building and for a while there, I'm pretty certain I was the only person on the block that Rock City is situated in, or the Mitchell House is situated in. And a couple of times I put on the Narcoleptor record and it was winter. I scared the living daylights out of myself. <laughs> anyway, so it's in a very effective record. But it also, that, that's one of Miles's outfits, Narcoleptor. But it is also on the best named record label, possibly. Well, definitely in Australia, in my opinion, possibly the world. For the music they do, they're called Nosferatu tunes. Oh, my God. Which, uh, to <laughs> me, why hasn't someone thought of that before? I hope he's patented that. Oh, my oath. It's freaking <laughs> genius. <laughs> to me, like, the minute he sent me an invoice, I said, I'm paying that just so my account, I'm paying it immediately so my accountant can see it. Anyway, Miles has another outfit, another duo, and the band is called the Night Terrors. And I think I showed this to you. Jack here for a second. I saw the Night Terrors, although I think it was just Miles. Right. I don't know, was it 10 years ago or something? When That'd be about right. When Goblin were touring here, I think in their original lineup, maybe except for the drummer, and they were playing scores at Acme while Deep Red or Suspiria were running. Or you could go see them, I think, well, what was the name of the place um place in russell street now um uh, it was 170 russell was yeah, called. yeah um anyway they did a gig there where they just played a range of music across their back catalog but having film clips from dawn of the dead and from deep red and suspiria and whatever up hundred other films that they scored for and so it was just a, it was a gig but mm. miles played as, as the night support terrors. as night terrors as a support act for goblin and when you showed me the album, you were saying, oh, I think this is going to be one of my nominations. And I was thinking, oh. at the time, i got to confess, it was probably too dark, maybe too aggressive, I don't know, sure. for, for my ears at the time. So I wasn't quite sure. So this new album, Hypnotica, yep. my first impression, I played it tonight before we came online. 
And I was really loving it. My daughter was in the other room and said, would you mind turning that off? It's it's freaking me out. Huzzah! <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> but yeah, no, go on. So tell me more about your history with Night Terrors as opposed to Miles, the uh, label entrepreneur. Uh, well, it, it's kind of the same thing, to be truthful, Morris. Uh, Night Terrors and the Narcoleptor have kind of existed at the same time. And as you quite rightly point out, Night Terrors is... Generally speaking, it's just Miles. But this one, it's not just Theremin, it's synth as well. The band is a duo. Sarah Lim is on synths. So it's not quite the, as I, I think you alluded to, it's not quite the kind of aggressive kind of pile driving experience that uh, Night Terrors can sometimes be when Miles is by himself and he just kind of, I guess, improvises and just has that sort of malevolent, aggressive sound that can pin you to the wall or drive you from the room. As I think you kind of hinted at, this one's far... Mm. Dreamy? Dreamy. That'll do. That's Thank mm. you. I was going to say acceptable, but that's a terrible thing to say about anything. Yeah, it's, it's a far dreamier record. It's probably more melodic, more lyrical. It evokes library music to a degree. It's, it evokes film music. There's elements of Eno and that kind of thing to it. So I found this to be a really beautiful listen and like you, probably not what I was expecting. Mm. Having listened to Narcoleptor, which is quite, it's beautiful but, but terrifying. This is beautiful and sort of soothing and it's full of pop songs, you know, within the framework of what Miles does. This is one of my favourite records for the year because it took me by surprise. I was expecting one thing and got something totally different. I, it's one of those records that I hope reaches more people because I think it deserves to, because it's so beautiful and frequently gentle. I think it's there's a lot of love in this record. You can tell that there's two people who, even if they're improvising, they're kind of enjoying playing together. I'd like to hear it more on the radio, and I haven't heard it that much. Yeah, I, I don't think I've got much more to say about that record. I, I did want to kind of point out two records that are old records. Sure. That I enjoyed because you said that was, you know. That is part of the brief, absolutely. So one of them, I've, I've been on a major reels kick of late. Ah. And, I mean, they're a band I always love. I think I knew that. I think I first saw them in 1981 on the Kitchen Man tour. And then I saw them later when I came to Melbourne with a band. We got off a, at Flinders Street. We got off a train at Flinders Street when I was touring with a band from WA. We walked past the museum, I think. I may have my directions wrong. And the reels were playing in the forecourt. And I just went, oh, God, I love Melbourne. Um, <laughs> anyway, this is a reels album called Neighbours. You take a whole lot of I remember that. Which is, as you will know, a different work of genius from the reels. Quasimodo's Dream is one of the great Australian songs. Yeah, that, that whole album is just astonishing. But this is the record. I think this came out after the KTEL Beautiful record. I was going to say, how many other bands released an album, maybe not necessarily completely original material, but they, it wasn't a compilation. How many bands recorded for KTEL? Yeah, deliberately. I can't think of anybody else that you know whose record you'd want to buy. But for those who don't know, this has got 
the reels tackling working class man, are you old enough, forever now, I walk away, Eagle Rock, original sin, Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, <laughs> Living in a Child's Dream, The Real Thing, and a bunch of their own songs like My Aim Is Please You, Shout and Deliver. Um, and the band is, it's the reels, but also people like Steve Presswich from Cold Chisel. So he's playing on that, you're saying? Yeah. Wow. Uh, Amanda Brown from The Go-Betweens. Wendy Morrissey, who's actually a really famous photographer. Anyway, I, um, I, I, I love this record. I love the reels. My much-missed friend, David McComb, was a massive Reels fan doesn't quite cover it. <laughs> um, he was obsessed. To him, they were the best Australian band of all time. And I get postcards. I've been thinking about Dave a lot lately, partly because the Triffids didn't get an invitation to the Mushroom 50th Anniversary Circle Jerk. Can I say that? <laughs> you can. Okay. To the 50th Anniversary Concert that the Triffids were not invited. Anyway, Dave was a big Reels fan, and I would often get postcards or letters from David McComb when he was touring with the Triffids from... I don't know, Germany or Austria or Sweden or Finland, and it would say, Pat, please make a cassette of Pitt Street Farmers and Quasimodo's Dream and send it to this guy in Oslo. He's a DJ at radio station, yada, yada. He needs this. I'll pay you back when I'm next birth. Anyway, I've spent a lot of time this year getting reacquainted with this record. So was, had that long been in your collection or did oh, this record? A, oh, or had someone, you come across a second-hand copy this oh, year? Oh, no, I, I bought this in 1988. Okay. So, yeah. Just dug it out again first time yeah. in years. Yeah. I think we had some friends over for dinner and they were all music industry notables of a sort. And I put this on and no, neither of them had heard it and were just in raptures. And I remember Dave Mason from The Reels being interviewed by Andrew Denton on, I think, was it Blah, Blah, Blah? I don't remember. It was The Money or The Gun. Yeah, one uh, of those shows. Yeah. And it was like when this album came out and Andrew Denton just went, so, Dave, you've uh, tackled Jimmy Barnes, Dragon, Cold Chisel, In Excess, The Divinals. Is there anyone, any Australian classic? You wouldn't touch. He went, the tats, mate. I was about to say, why isn't Bad Boys for Love on that album? And he just went, fucking touch the tats. <laughs> Hope I can swear. Uh, you, you can. Yeah. And I just thought that, I thought that was genius. I thought it was perfect. Anyway, I've kind of been dwelling in kind of the land of folk, like Dorset folk, dark techno, dark but dreamy theremin music. And the reels as an example of Australiana. And then the other day, yesterday, in fact, last night, I dug out this album, this CD by a band called Kid Sam, which was a duo of brothers called Kishore Ryan and Kieran Ryan. Kishore is, plays drums, cookware, melodica, glockenspiel, toaster, and his brother Kieran plays guitar, voice, and melodica. And they were originally from Tasmania, then they moved to Melbourne. This was recorded in 2009. What's the name of the album? Uh, the album is called Kid Sam, K-I-D Sam. Oh, that's, an, that's the name of the album. I thought that was the name of the, the ensemble. I think so. It only came out on CD. I would imagine it's as rare as all get out. And there's a song here called Down to the Cemetery. Come back from the mirror, it distracts your thoughts too. Which is 
guitar, drums, and... Poster? Yeah, kitchen implements. <laughs> and it's just an absolutely killer pop song. Anyway, I've been obsessing over that for about the last two or three days. I got nothing else for you, Morris. That was absolutely plenty. Thank you so much. Sorry if I rabbited it on. Listen, you know what? I kick you off this show if you're succinct. Right. I don't ask people to come on this show and say, right here, my top five. Thank you very much. Good night. See you later. Yeah, I okay. want rabbiting. Okay. I want elongation. I can do that. <laughs> you want another crack at it? We'll, we'll go again if you want. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll save that for uh, when I next come into the store. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you live in Melbourne, head out to... Rocksteady Records, because remember those days where we used to go into record stores and used to just rabbit on with the guy behind the counter or the gal behind the counter? Remember places like Gaslight Records and, well, you know, whatever your local record store in your suburb was. When I was growing up, there was a place called Pitt's Record Bar and well, Hitbound Records, where I briefly worked. Wow, I didn't know that, Morris. I just revealed a little bit. Peel a layer off. <laughs> but really, go into the store because really, record stores, they're fun. Don't leave it to Record Store Day. Just come in and have a chat with the man behind the counter and find out, you know, he might have that ABBA record that you're after, or he might not. I don't know. <laughs> Seriously, Pat, it's been wonderful having you back on the show. And been wonderful uh, to take part, Morris. Thank you very much. My absolute pleasure. All right, we're going to go to another break. I might read out an email, and then we're going to come back with our next correspondent in this. We'll be back in a few moments. Uh, you're listening to episode 172 of Love That Album. And there we are. I hope that you've been writing stuff down, listening to the little clips that we presented and found something of interest, something that you thought, I didn't hear that during the year. Of course, there were a few picks in there that we've all heard or read about. Doesn't make them any less good than the obscure picks. Uh, yes, I hope that you've been writing stuff down and thought, I'm going to follow that up because that's what this is all about. But having said that, if none of it appealed to you or you just wanted to listen to the conversation, then that's good too. But go out and listen to more music. Go out and listen to some music. Support your local or someone from the other side of the planet. Just support musicians. They need our support. It's 2023 going on 2024 and we know that they're doing it tough, mind you. Musicians have always done it tough because it's not like the major record companies that existed in the past ever really did right by most musicians. So whatever we can say about Spotify, and there's plenty of negative stuff I'll want to say about Spotify, but it's not like Universal today or Columbia or Warner Brothers. Uh, I, mean, I don't know. I read a biography about Warner Brothers records and it made out like they were the most kind and considerate music people on the planet. And I don't know, maybe that's so. But anyone who's uh, tried to release a record through a major record company have probably not made a whole lot of wealth just through the sales of records. So do whatever it is that you can to support musicians that you really love. Maybe the next musician that you really love is going to be someone who's been recommended on this program or maybe it's just someone who's playing down at your local pub. Just do what you've got to do. Sorry, you don't need me lecturing. I'm going to stop all this lecturing. It's bullshit. Anyway, uh, that's the end of episode 172, but it's not the end of this end-of-year discussion about favourite records, favourite music from my wonderful correspondence to this show. 
So on episode 173, which may be online before the end of 2023, or it may be January's episode, January 2024's episode. I haven't decided yet. We'll see. 174, when that comes along, which could be in January, but more likely February, will be a discussion between myself and the great Shane Pacey about the album Close to the Edge by Yes. But that's episode 174. Let's talk about episode 173. It's going to be more of the same sort of thing that you heard in this episode. But the two people, the two wonderful people who will be joining me for that episode will be music journalist and writer of the Australian Encyclopedia of Rock and Pop. Incredible tome of work. I wouldn't be without it. And if you're a fan of Australian music, then neither should you. Incredible work. But he also writes for magazines like Rhythms, and he also writes a line of notes for the Aztec record releases, or re-releases, I should say. Some great work going on there. Follow those albums up. I'm not going to go through it here, but yeah, he writes a line of notes, very thorough line of notes. Ian is a walking encyclopedia. That's why he wrote the Australian Encyclopedia of Rock and Pop, you see. Another man who's a walking music encyclopedia and the man who, if he hadn't done what he'd done, this podcast, for better or worse, wouldn't exist. I'm talking about Billy Pinnell who I listened to years ago on the album show on what started out as EONFM, became EONFM, became Triple M. And really, I'll be honest with you, he was, I've said this before, he was an oasis in a desert of commercial radio every Sunday night. If you lived in Melbourne and loved rock music, you listened to Billy Pinnell. So the fact that he gives me some time to speak on this little podcast is no source of, no small source of pride for me. I don't know how, did that make sense? I don't know. Anyway, I'm just very proud to have him on this program. That's what I meant to say. So uh, yeah, Ian McFarlane and Billy Pinnell on the second part of this end of 2023 roll call of music writers, music broadcasters talking about music that they loved in this year of 2023. As I said at the start of the show, it's a bit dubious as to how great 2023 was as a year. Uh, Some things which I'd quite happily say get stuffed 2023, but musically it was a great year, I think. I've got my own thoughts. I've got the albums that are in my head that I want to talk about, but more and more I think about it, it's probably going to be a blog post and I'll put a link to it in the Facebook page so you can read and I don't have to talk for a change. Look after yourselves. Be nice to each other. Stop filling up the social media with hateful rhetoric. I don't need to read it. You don't need to say it. There's a lot of shit going on in the world. Fill it up with lovely music recommendations, film recommendations, books that you've read. Just fill it up with stuff like that. You might say I'm being naive. Well, that's your privilege and prerogative. But the world isn't going to improve by people ranting and raving in social media space. Or maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Anyway, maybe it will improve with people ranting and raving in the social media space. I've crapped on for too long. I want to end this on a positive note. As I said, be nice to each other. Tell someone you love that you love them. Enjoy the holiday season. Happy Christmas or whatever it is that you celebrate. Hanukkah's just done. So just be nice to each other. Until we next speak with episode 173, all the best. Cheers. Cheers.